When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Back here. Back at it. Back with a bang. The award-winning best damn combat sports show period friday december 2nd 2022 loaded fight weekend ahead of you nobody better to take you there than bclt this is morning combat welcome on in happy to be here from the uh the fifth state that signed the paper connecticut i'm brian campbell the beige bastard that american alpha the bde with the low testosterone black liver few other ailments i'm dealing with but i'm working on it right now my co-host though they don't come better in this in these parts um he's probably the best analyst in the game today his name is luke thomas hi friends how are you um luke we're back at home we're all we're all trying to find a you know to find a home for this just fantastic piece of artwork here put together by the fine Nova Scotian fabricators, Luke and Jay Paquette. Uh, I mean, yeah. what a just, this is, unbelievable. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, this is, this is, remember that scene in back to the future when uncle Joey was in the, uh, in the crib and you're like, you know, get used to these bars, right? You know, that's, that's sometimes what I feel looking through there, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, we got some big, quasi fight related breaking news off the top i'm gonna get to we're gonna set the stage for ufc fight night this saturday uh but that's just the beginning big time boxing across the globe as well uh we're gonna get an old school we talk about our our recurring top five segment how about an old school luke thomas is pissed resurrection today as luke counts down five things that he hates about you or, or maybe the maybe uh, five things you'll see. It's going to be a fun time. But Luke Thomas, as we uh, get back at home, as we dig a little bit deeper into this winter season coming upon us, uh, how's your feel level entering this weekend's fights? Feel level, um, pretty good, pretty good. I got to tell you, like in preparing for today's show, like doing the homework on the one card, which you know, uh, I've said it before, like I don't love all the nonsense that their leadership says, but like the product that gets delivered to your door, so to speak. Yeah. Um, 
you know, as an Amazon product in a different way, is great. Like Roberto Soldich is making his one debut. Uh, Deritter is facing off against the interim heavyweight champion who's coming down to light heavyweight, uh, Malakin, who is a fucking hammer. Like, hammer by the time. way, yeah. uh, Deritter is an underdog for the first time, I think, in his one career. So, like, uh, just really pretty good. Then they got some good stuff on the one, or excuse me, the UFC card. And then, of course, Chocolatito's back. Like, there's... I mean, Tyson Fury's back, whether we want it or not this weekend. So plenty to get you jacked up, fired up. A bit of news from one that just broke before the show as well. So all that and then some tall, pale, and handsome uh, one half of your award-winning duo here. So please continue to uh, like and subscribe if that's what you do. We can always use a little boost up in them numbers, uh, especially in re-election season coming up on our contracts eventually, Luke, who, you know, who, we can always use a little bit more uh, power there. You know, we're putting up a lot That's of true. awards on the hardware, but uh, follow us, support us. And if you want to dress like us too, I mean, could I be more decked out today in just classic MK-ness? You can go to morningcombat.store. Uh, has the has the Black Friday sale finally runneth over, Luke? I believe it's over now. Yes, it expired. Um, so the deals for now are off. Now, you know how this goes. We're going to have another deal here probably pretty soon. But as it stands right this moment, I think that there isn't one. But uh, but the sales apparently have been tremendous, according to RJ Dunkel Threesome. So keep that in mind. <laughs> I mean, if we could only... That's the thing I asked the staff when we were there the other day. I said... You know, RJ, like, it looks like he's throwing a no-hitter. Like, he's on his way to something right now in this job. But what if we had access to his search history? How much would that change what we think about him? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a question we all have to look at in the mirror once in a while. That's true in a certain way. Perhaps not the way you mean it, but okay. But RJ, up to this point, great job. Check out our merch house for more. Uh, thank you for being a... Uh, a uh, recipient, a follower here, a watcher, a supporter of what we do. We'll have uh, we got fan subs every Wednesday. We'll close with dead wrongs today to get your voice be heard. But Luke, before we transition into the prediction time of the weekend fights to come and all the news that broke over the last forty eight hours, speaking of news involving a very muscular man, forty four year old <laughs> Brian Johnson. No, not the lead singer of the world famous uh, ACDC. A man known as the Liver King was under fire in recent days after allegedly leaked emails showed the habit of thousands of dollars per month that is the PED ingest, reportedly, for what makes the Liver King so damn jacked. Is it the nine tenets of ancestral living, or is it that damn wind straw that you can stick in your ass cheek? Luke, Brian Johnson, the Liver King himself has taken advantage of the opportunity and put out a video overnight on YouTube with a detailed explanation, no excuses. Oh, no, yes. you're totally wrong. You're totally wrong. Yes, he has taken the stuff, but Luke, as the Liver King explained, it was in reaction to how soft this society has become for men, how often powerful men fall you know legitimately to mental health issues uh, a lack of energy and luke if anything he claims he is a a poster boy for what can happen if you man up if you grab that hammer with two hands and if you're willing to put the stick in your ass luke and get back out there in the gym and get them loyal ass gains your response to the liver king 
Well, his gains are, they're more oil than loyal. Um, yeah, so I thought his apology was not that great. And I was having a bit of a back and forth with one of the Showtime producers prior to the show today because he loves Liver King and thought the apology was great. Like, I will say this, the video is called that the Liver King put out in response to Derek from More Plates, More Dates. The response that the Liver King put out was called, I lied. Okay, so, um, and then he says, I have been on steroids. And not, by the way, if you didn't see the stack that he's on, <laughs> if, you, if you've been using steroids recently and then there's been in short supply, it's all because the Liver King has taken it up. Like, where are all the drugs? They're in his system. The guy was on 11 plus, basically 12K, just on growth hormone. Just on growth hormone, not including the, the, the seven or eight other things he was on. I, I do wonder about his long-term health. But okay, that aside, I didn't love the apology too much. Now, it is better than a lot of other apologies where it's they're way more mealy mouth and they take forever to get to it. The video was only like six or seven minutes. He does admit, I've been on steroids, I'm on them now, blah, blah, blah. But this is the problem with it, okay? This is why I hated the apology, or at least I didn't love it at a bare minimum. I don't know if I hated it, but I didn't love it. And the reason why is because he goes out there and he sneaks these little things in being like, you know, I was telling myself that this was separate from the supplement company. I was I was doing this just to to raise up the mental health of all the other people. So he leans on like, mental health problems of others and his own alleged nobility in trying to help them that's bullshit and frankly kind of gross look he's a robin hood of mental health okay so put a little bit back on his but the other part that really just blows my mind is in the if you actually the video that more plates more dates put out is an hour long and i realize that's not most people are not going to watch it i watched the whole fucking thing okay in the in the video they have these emails where the guy brian is his name sets out on a very clear enumerated plan to use virality through social media in order to get all the attention and then to further his business interests. And in it, he explicitly ties using these drugs along with these performative stunts of eating organs and eggs and everything as a way to make sure that his goal was by March of 2022 to hit a million view, a uh, million um uh, followers on Instagram, which, by the way, he, he actually got there long before that. He, he blew up very quickly. So his plan actually worked. He did have a good plan. But the point I'm trying to make is, in the apology video, he tries to argue he was doing it for his own self-interest, independent of his business interests, when, in fact, we know without question in the emails where he is trying to get uh, a, a someone who helped him with his steroid stack that he ties them directly together. So even in his own apology, he was not fully honest. Even in his own apology, he tries to equivocate and like separate what he was doing. Here's what he was trying to do. He was trying to use an outrageous name and identity and stunts and all the drugs he could take to further his business. He can say whatever he wants about it being something else, and I'm sure it was about he wanted to look better. He complains routinely before he was on the drugs about his own back fat, which is like whatever. Uh, I'm sure that that taking drugs was a part of it, but for everyone being like, oh, that was a good apology. Not really. Not really. He tries to make sure that you don't connect the dots on what he was actually doing when the emails show explicitly what he was trying to do. Well, here's a, if you take like a pull quote from it, it is good PR. He says uh, the liver king, the public figure was an experiment to spread a message 
and I lied. I continually dismissed it and dug myself into a deeper and bigger hole. I only have myself to blame. I did all that and it was wrong. I'll be better. I will talk about it openly. I'm sorry as a man can be. And all I can do is take extreme ownership right now and be better and lead better life as a human. But when it gets into the, the Robin Hood-esque storyline of attempting to be a model for those who suffer with depression and low motivation as he once did, it does feel a little too convenient. It feels a little bit like, remember when John Jones used to call him the fixer, Luke, that, that, that lady that would come in and try to, you know, readdress the narrative uh, that it feels a little bit like that. Um, I don't begrudge him creating this figure and monetizing it, but um, he did, you know, convince a lot of, uh, future Gen Sixers to eat raw meat for the last year, Luke, and walk around with their shirt off carrying things. I mean, is that a good thing or bad thing in the long run for uh, for uh, their mental health and how people see them? So I dude, don't know. He's but, trying uh, to sell like these ancestral tenants, which are just bullshit. I mean, they're not bullshit. Like, there's actually some value to them, but they're not like th these are actually the result of sometimes conventional wisdom, but usually conventional wisdom backed by actual scientific experiments and then a larger collection of data over the years right? Um, get sunlight. That's true. Uh, you know, use resistance training and progressive overload. That's true. Drink water. That's true. Get sleep. That's true. Obviously, you know, uh, there's a series of other things, but like you don't need to follow any of the other bullshit he puts on there and this persona and then his supplements and then the larger things he's selling as a part of that. And again, the whole point of the viral, like why would you want to go viral if your businesses were already somewhat successful and why would you want to do how, why would you need to do that? You need to have this outrageousness that you're tying to your brands to help further facilitate them, which again, he ex I'm not, I'm not going to make this up. He explicitly ties them together in those other emails. So to me, it's like all this other shit he says about trying to equivocate and whatever nonsense, nonsense, my guy, you were trying to boost your, you were trying to connect the dots together by doing this raw organ shit and this outrageously jacked shit. Uh, for your own business interests. And you can say whatever you want after the fact, but that's what it's really about. There's no more nobility to it, nothing else. He got caught red-handed, and that's the end of the story, basically. Well, Luke, and also, like, here. if you want to get jacked, you know, there's like the conventional wisdom about what he's selling. You can go to a lot of other places for free and get it. You don't need any of that bullshit. Yeah, I didn't appreciate him trying to convince people they could become a lord or a leard and, you know, they could own property and stuff. <laughs> that went a little bit too far. But I will say, Luke, uh, does this kill the gimmick? We we asked that about Colby Covington when Donald Trump did not uh, did not achieve re-election. Does this scandal and quick public apology, which people like Jason Giambi, Andy Pettit, they've used that to their advantage, unlike some of the other long-term deniers, Luke. Do, do people forgive him or has the gimmick already run its course? So let's just move on. I I mean, I think even if this had never happened, it would have run its course. Like how long can you follow a 44 year old man walking around with his shirt off and he's five foot three and just saying a bunch of stupid shit like that. That only goes like this media, social media sensation. Like just think about it as fast as he rose, he would decline just as quickly. He would have his 15 minutes. So it was going to go down yeah. no matter what. The question is, does this facilitate it? Um, there will always be some dumbasses who buy stupid shit online. So I don't think he's going to go away completely, but yeah. Um, you know, he might, he might ask me about Herbalife. Yeah. Yeah. That, that used to be a great t-shirt, but I wonder if all those mixed martial arts promoters regret, you know, flying him and his family around the world to use his ab implants as shameless promotion. Uh, for uh, uh, he, he didn't, he still denies that, but he was the other part too. Like all the promotions who hired him. What did it do for you? What did it do for you? Nothing. Like it didn't do shit for you. So. 
Good job, I guess. Well, maybe it made them feel more like a man or woman, Luke, and I think that's the Liver King's message, right? Seek masculinity, stiff arm, all that other junk that's trying to take us down. So Liver King, even though you failed, and even though you took that L on Dead Wrong Friday, okay, I, I still look at you as a... Uh, Rabid loser. But hey, you know, he had a good run. He had a good run, Luke. All right, let's get into our show to kick things off here. Topic number one, weekend picks across the combat sports globe. We've largely done the job already Wednesday of setting the stage storyline-wise. A couple new tidbits to get through, but we also want to hit it hard. Who's going to win and why? UFC Fight Night going down from Orlando. A really sneaky good card, top to bottom in terms of compelling matchups. But in this main event, we're looking at welterweights. Steven Wonderboy Thompson, 39 years old, a plus 135 underdog, looking to snap a two-fight losing skid. And welcoming in a, as always... Loud and proud Kevin Holland, who has done this week to talk a lot about his fighting future. Luke, he'll be a minus 155 betting favorite in this. But for the 30-year-old, here's the, the real hook this week. He says that retirement talk is not a, a scam. It's It was potentially legit. He says, to be honest right now, I don't know what the F I'm looking for. I just want to get paid and see what's happening next. But Luke, here is his media day revelation in response to a question from Oscar Willis. That's real interesting. Kevin Holland says, my retirement is still on the table. If I wake up after beating Wonderboy on, on Sunday morning and you guys, I don't know if that means the media or the UFC matchmakers, suddenly have Chemayev fighting for the 185 title, even though he's never won a fight against a ranked fighter at 185, I will retire. I understand business is business, but favoritism is favoritism. This kid missed weight and I had to step up to fight him. I shouldn't have done that, but I did what I had to do or I shouldn't have had to do that, excuse me, but right. I did what I had to do and I was supposed to do as a company man. Certain things have to go certain ways, but if you don't get what you're promised, you might as well just, I might as well just go get my resignation papers, go home, smoke weed and play video games for the rest of my life. Luke, Kevin Holland can be a talker. So sort of the final, the final bit on the narrative and the storyline entering this fight, those are pretty aggressively harsh words. Does he have merit for what he said? Or is this just the game you signed up for? I mean, it's the uh, the thing is this: like, it is the game he signed up for, right? It's the game he signed up for. So there, there should be a greater sense of what you're up against and how the game works at this point. The media has fully addressed, like he's talking about. Oh, well, there's favoritism. Dude, the UFC's in the favoritism business, and you went into business with them. Like, it's. I, I don't even like saying it that way. In fact, I hate saying it this way because I do feel for Kevin Holland. I do feel for guys who, in their minds, and I think they might have good arguments often, that they try to do solids this way and that way, that they put up with unfair situations this way and that way, and then it doesn't get reciprocated or it just doesn't end up going their way. And like, why did I do all of that? What is the whole point of this? This is just not something I want to engage in. I fully, fully, fully sympathize with that, and I understand it. However... What I would also say is, like, one, the fighters don't really get behind a union. The fighters don't really do anything to further advance the Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act to MMA, or many of them haven't, most of them haven't joined the lawsuit. Like, if you really are, if you're really, really, really concerned about the state of welfare and what kind of protections you can put in place, why aren't you guys doing more to protect yourselves in that way? Okay, like, well, I that just... 
that's a fair point, and that's also a separate argument. But you said you you sort of paraphrase from Omar on the wire. The game is the game. You almost said it. I, I could see you thinking about it. <laughs> and if the game is the game, I'm not going to call this a deal with the devil. But when you enter, like you said, they are in a what'd you call it a uh, what business a re re uh, benefit? What'd you say that like they're at the UFC? You can partner with them and be a company man and get company rewards. Yeah. But what Kevin Holland's basically saying here in the in is he took Shamayev on no notice to save the card. And he took the beat and that came with that. It was quick. Uh, in his mind, Luke, he's owed something big. But I counter and say he's coming off a loss here and getting a fight night main event opportunity against a style matchup in an aging name, which is in some ways the best case scenario. Is that reward enough? Because what Kevin Holland wouldn't tell Oscar when asked was specifically what he's talking about that was promised that potentially might not. But based on his words, it seems like it has something to do with Chemayev here, Luke. Yeah, and I, but by the way, he didn't like go after Chemayev too bad either in terms of like what that guy could do in the sport and you know that kind of a thing. He just was more directing like what how the UFC adjudicated everything and and what it all amounted to in the end. It's a fair point, but like even if you wanted to say that like Kevin Holland wasn't mistreated here and not, you know. That's between him and the UFC. Um, you know, you can find a lot of situations where guys were. It's not. It's not very yeah. difficult. But the fact that they never do anything in a broader perspective to protect themselves, and again, there are some good reasons why they don't. I understand that. But ultimately, ultimately, it's like how many times can can all of us in the media, or just even fans or observers, watch these guys complain legitimately about something, whether this situation is that or not, and then never take any action beyond complaining to the media to really rectify or just retiring. Like they just either retire or complain to the media. And like that, that's not nothing, but that's just not going to solve your problem. It's just not. Yeah. So but that's sort of where I come down on this whole thing. I forget the second part of the question, but. Well, um, I was just sort of saying it, it wasn't that, a, isn't that a reward enough to be in a yeah, matchup I mean, here? Not against a wrestler against an, like if you're Kevin Holland, you want to fight an aging name. Right. Like Thompson, and remember right? what we said on Wednesday, BC, we got number six Wonder Boy, which maybe he should or shouldn't be, but he is. He's ranked number six. And Kevin Holland is unranked. You just don't see that very often. It's a massive opportunity for Holland in that way. So that could be it. Who's to say? I don't know. Again, I don't know that this situation and his reflection upon it is like the best evidence of there being yeah. a disparity in, in, well, in leverage. But there's a billion dollar company and it's one fighter. Dude, you're going to lose that battle every time. You're going to lose it every time. You know, he says if Chemayev's fighting for that title next in that division, meaning 185, he's going to retire. We'll see. He's going to have to get out here and get this win. The other quote was, you can only work somewhere so long before you feel some kind of way. I felt some kind of way for a while, but kept my mouth shut. I think it's a fantastic company, but sometimes it always makes business sense. And fighters who are part of this business wonder why they get done like that. So uh, that's all and well, Luke. We're still going to have a fight, though. And what we know about Holland is he's always opportunistic. He fought five times in 2020 and was really arguably the star of the pandemic, along with Chemayev, Billy Q, a few others. He also said he tied the UFC record with those five wins in one calendar year with Neil Magny and Roger Huerta and set his own UFC record for seven appearances over a 12-month period. But, Luke, when you're that willing, you can take losses. Now Kevin Holland is 2-3 and three with one no contest in the last two calendar years. He is a slight favorite entering into this fight. We expect this to have the potential to be a nice five-round kickboxing match. What Kevin Holland said, though, 
third round knockout, once I am able to break him down and he feels my real power in round three, the fight is over. As you look at this matchup, Luke, what stands out to you, X's and O's wise, heading into Saturday? You know, I I actually went through Kevin Holland's record and and watched a bunch of tape on him, and I'm halfway through watching tape, and I'm like, dude, none of this is really relevant. You know what I mean? Like, okay, has he fought strikers before? Yes, yes. Uh, Joaquin Buckley would be one. But, dude, Buckley strikes in, like, a totally different way than Wonderboy. It also was a different weight class and everything else. You know, like, there was a stat from my guy Dick Mann over at uh, Fight Metric where he was talking about, like, in neutral position. So, like, you know, where it's not, like, one Because you have to count strikes on the ground. But, like, if you're just talking about guys where there, no, no one has a control position on the other, what do the, what do the numbers say about Kevin Holland? He has, over his opponents, a nearly four-integer striking advantage. I mean, that's a massive number. Like, if you watch him do it, he can do a lot. He can strike backing up, going forward. He likes to tie up and close, throw elbows, which is one thing I think could be kind of interesting. He can strike long range with a 1-2. He can go counter-striking. He can lead. But he tends to have guys, in terms of the striking-based uh, uh, opponents, that just, in the words of Paul Felder, that just kind of collide with him, rather than you know having to go find a guy that you're going to have to find in Wonder Boy. So... What it seems to me, BC, is this is sort of how I view it. I'm going to go back to something I said on Wednesday, but I'm going to add a little bit of a wrinkle to it. To me, it's going to be a question of how well he's able to find Wonder Boy and what he does to make him more findable, right? In other words, um, are you going to be able to touch him with whatever you're doing? Because, you know, he's going to be in and out and just at the end of the punches. But how are you going to corral his movement and his the space behind and to the side of him to make that easier? It really depends on his game plan. But the other thing I'm going to point to here is Kevin Holland doesn't get enough credit, in my view, for his power. He actually has some ability to thump here, especially at 170, but you saw it at 185 as well, right? Putting out Buckley's lights and Jacare's and many other guys. He actually can thump a little bit. Wonderboy has made the argument that I don't get hit a lot, I don't have a bad chin, and I think that that probably is mostly true. But I do think that if Kevin Holland can land on him clean over time, it's a five-round fight, uh, he will sit him down. He will drop him. He will hurt him. I do think that that's going to happen, especially on his linear punches. They're long. They're fast. He can do them off rhythm. There's something to be said there. So what I think is going to happen is he's going to have a bit of a hard time through long stretches of the fight, BC. But I do think eventually, within the course of three, probably four rounds, he's going to find the chin. He's going to hurt him. And the question is, can he finish him off from there? In other words, it's hard for me to give you a really clear sense of the X's and O's, given one guy's history and one guy's uniqueness, but the state of things for either guy kind of tell you that there's a certain, I think, inevitability that both that the fight will trend towards. Yeah, and now he's got five rounds to deal with it here in this main event. And for Kevin Holland, of his last seven wins, six have come by stoppage. And we're talking about, you know, Cowboy Oliveira, uh, Ronaldo Souza, Joaquin Buckley, Anthony Hernandez. This has been when he's able to fight on better terms than the ones that saw him on the bottom against Chemaev or, you know, on the flip side, Wonderboy losing two straight fights largely by wrestling. Uh, Kevin Holland can strike, but look, I do want to see a balanced effort here. Almost if a, in a, you can't, if you can't beat him, join him. Now, what I mean by that is, look, if the fight is competitive with Wonderboy, but you're falling into some of those traps with Wonderboy style that he does so well, even at this age, I'd like to see Holland shoot. I'd like to see him, you know, do 
to to wonder boy what people have done to both of these guys i'd like to see that full well-rounded effort and to be to be honest be less of a cowboy maybe that's just his way kevin holland take any advantage put himself in these scenarios where you fight chemayev when even he said himself you know after that fight was announced it was like yeah i probably shouldn't be doing this but but you know i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go after it Man, if he tones it down just a bit, this is the opportunity for one of the biggest wins of his career. Uh, the odds tell you it's largely a flip on here, but Holland is younger. He does seem to have more left in the tank. But Luke, let's talk about what we believe Wonderboy has left in the tank. Because those two defeats, you know, they're humbling. Gilbert Burns used his ground attack. I mean, but nobody really outside of that one punch from Pettis dominates Wonderboy. He is, though, two months shy of becoming a man and turning 40. He does have a two-fight losing streak. He is 3-5-1 and one since 2016, and that includes the two title fights with Woodley. Uh, according to Wonderboy himself, the goal is always the title. I'm always at the top of the list, and that's not going to stop. I'm still going for that. And he specifically called out Leon Edwards as inspiration for somebody like him who's not a wrestler, uh, who went out there, didn't give up, and won the championship. Is the idea of Wonderboy pushing 40, still thinking title, realistic in your eyes? No. No, not at all. Um, uh, whether he's still... Whether he can still be decidedly relevant, I, which, by the way, is hard to do, especially at 38, 39 years of age, uh, I do think that is, interestingly enough, on the table. Uh, I wonder. I mean, I guess, obviously, this fight will tell us a little bit more about that. I think the title is desperately out of reach. Um, and, you know, I understand that these guys... Remember how this all works, right? These fighters live and die in their own minds. And um, some can, like, you know, begin to pare back their aspirations as they age, where they're like, okay, it's not realistic for me to go for the title anymore, but I still want to be in fun, relevant fights or do what I can, like a Jim Miller type, or you know, you, you name whatever version of that um, sounds right to you. But a lot of them have a difficulty turning that off, going from, oh, I'm title only, either, either it's for the title or I'm out of the sport. And that's fine, by the way, like they can make that call. Like there's not a right or wrong answer here. It's all what they want. But I'm just pointing out, if you've like, if you've, you, if you, these guys have to brainwash themselves. I mean, yeah. you, you can't compete in the sport without it. Like, I'm not even bashing them. It's just a functional reality. But the problem is when you get to the other side of things and you've only had that gear for very long, it is hard to undo it. So certainly I could be wrong. I think he could potentially mount some kind of thing, but I find it extremely unlikely. And, um, you know, the fact that he has losses to Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns and they were relatively one-sided-ish kind of tells you that it's mostly a pipe dream at this point. But, but, BC... Can he beat good guys inside the top 10, be in big fight cards, be in big fights, be a fan favorite? That, to me, still seems an interesting question. I just yeah. don't think a title aspiration is realistic. It's weird. It's like that one punch loss to Pettis in a fight that Wonderboy was winning and on his way to winning it, to seemingly, it, it, you know, it wasn't disastrous. He came back, bounced back from there, won another fight at a good level, still look at where he is now in a main event. But it did seem like the the early beginning of what is the inevitable end when you're somebody who's at this age and you do rely so much on speed, reaction time, movement, and all that. Um, people didn't catch up with him in that way in the past, and then they did. He's been able to hold it together here, but you do sometimes have to remember like how we got here. Before that stretch of being 3-5-1, and, and I don't hold that against him over the last six years because he's fought 
a lot of the best, including those two fights with Woodley where he didn't get a win, but boy, did he fight great in there and show himself. Do you remember that seven-fight win streak before that, Luke, that put him on that title level? Four knockouts and wins over Rory McDonald, Johnny Hendricks by stoppage, Jake Ellenberger, and Robert Whitaker by stoppage, just to name a few of them. Um, it's like he's not night and day removed from being that guy, but I do agree with you. I was surprised to see him all the way back where we are now, still talking about entering that title run, but maybe that's the motivation and the confidence level he needs to carry to get the best of himself. Luke, one thing he won't be getting this Saturday, Stephen Thompson, is comedian, musician Jack Black making the walkout, which was the original plan for him to walk out to a Tenacious D song, have Jack Black coach Latori style next to him. Jack had to cancel last minute. Uh, your care concern on this is what? Zero or below zero? I like Jack Black or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's zero. All right. Well, let's get into what you do care about. The prediction, who wins five rounds, remember, this time. Thompson plus 135, Holland minus 155. Is youth served in this case? I'm going to say yes. I mean, here's the thing. Like, uh, 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 the very best version of Wonder Boy, I, I think, you know, uh, a younger version certainly as well, could beat a lot of really good fighters. He might be Kevin Holland. I don't know what the odds are. I know you read them out, but I don't remember. But... um you know, I could understand a case for Wonder Boy here. I really could. I don't think that's crazy. I think this is one of those fights where it's like, eh, we got to be careful. I just think in the end, while it is true Wonder Boy hasn't taken an enormous amount of punishment relative to other fighters who've been doing this very long, I don't think his resilience is necessarily going to save him, like in the case of John Jones, where he's like, like surprisingly very good chin, right? Something like that. Um, I think that Kevin Holland can thump. I think he is uh, throws a lot of volume. I think he's hard to hurt. And... The lack of wrestling doesn't give Kevin Holland a lot of other options necessarily. I don't know if he's really going to need him. It may take a while. It could be close. He could be down on the cards. I think Kevin Holland finds a way, and I think the power and the length and the speed and the diversity yeah. of his striking is probably going to be the difference maker. I think you talked me into that pick, and it's like for Holland, like, is this a must win? Well, not like for what? Must win for what? To hold his right. spot and to use the leverage that he may or may not have gained behind the scenes from being willing to fight Chimaev to, to do his part to hold that fight card together. If he wins, I do think, Luke, he can he can really use that leverage and try to pair this into a big fight. This would, you know, arguably be among the biggest names he's defeated, All although, as I mentioned, he had that good run and beat, beat an aging Jacare and all that. But you beat a number six guy who still has it at the moment with that name as a former title challenger. I think Holland will not be talking about retirement after this, and I think he will be talking about how do I leverage it. But a loss in this moment would certainly set back his larger goals. I like Holland at this weight class. I do want to see some wrestling here. I want to see it mixed up. But let's see if his third-round knockout prediction will hold up. Luke, in this co-main event, I want to get your pick here because it's somewhat interesting. The odds... Way different than the main event, meaning Brian Barberino, the welterweight brawler, three-fight win streak, but a plus 420 underdog against the 38-year-old legend, the former lightweight champion, Rafael Dos Anjos, who is nearly a 6-1 to -one betting favorite. Luke, RDA is back at 170. His explanation this week was... It's the opposite of what Stephen Thompson said. It's, I don't have plans anymore to win a title at 155. I'll only cut down there for specific, very big fights. I don't see myself in that title picture anymore, to be honest. I want to go up to 170. So uh, this was a name in Barbarino who has been calling RDA out behind the scenes to the UFC. He got his wish. 
Are these odds justifiable for what we all recognize is a large skill gap between these two uh, when the brawler come in, comes in there against the Ageless Wonder? Yeah, I got to say, I find the odds to be a little crazy. Um, they seem a little bit wide. I get that in many ways, Dos Anjos represents a vast increase in the quality of opposition given who he has been beating, although he is on a nice win streak himself over Weeks, Brown, and Lawler. But um, it, Dos Anjos should not lose this, right? I mean, for a lot of reasons, the the reach disadvantage is not significant, just two inches. Dos Anjos' strength of schedule, while that does contribute to being shop-worn to some degree, just is, you know, he's faced far better fighters than this. I don't think that's an insult. I think that's just a reality. Yeah. And more to the point, BC, he's just got more ways to win, right? Skills win fights. The Muay Thai of Dos Anjos is crisper. Now, I do think that Barbarina taking risk and just walking through punches also makes him very dangerous. We, we have seen clear evidence of that. So it's not like Dos Anjos can just you know waltz in there and do whatever you want. I don't think that's quite the reality. But he can strike in ways that I would say are cleaner and has sort of more variety. And then the other part here, this is the big one, is just the takedowns. Oh, that's, now, this that's, is at 170, huh? I was going to ask you about it. Does yeah. Barbarina have some kind of seek, sneaky takedown stat that I don't know about? Because this, this fight's going to be won in the ground and pound from RDA. I mean, this is where it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, his takedown defense on average for Brian Barbarina is 55%. I mean, not great. Not yeah. great at all. And we got a guy like Dos Anjos, per 15 minutes, lands about two. So he's good for just about not quite one around. Um, I think that's probably going to be the difference maker here. I, I, I could really see a scenario, honestly, where Barbarina is able to like take the punches or the strikes and put Dos Anjos into trouble. But Dos Anjos just knows that octagon. He knows all the transitions to attacks. He knows exactly what he's good at. He knows exactly what his assignment is. And for the most part, usually he's able to pull at least a version of that off, if not a great version of it. I don't see a reason why that wouldn't necessarily be in play here. I think he's going to be just the guy who controls the fight uh, physically and then controls the terms of it over time. And Dos Anjos should is, not lose this. For, for an action fighter, RDA's defense has always been there when he needs it and when he wants to need it. And yeah, I just can't see Barbarina being slower, even with RDA coming up in weight. I think that'll actually help RDA from not having to make that cut. You don't hold against him that he's 3-5 and five since 2018, but this is the potential for RDA to bounce back, look for big opportunities. The names he mentioned this week at 170 that he's particularly focused on if he gets a win here are Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, or Hamzat Chemaev. And uh, the quote from RDA is, as a former champion... Looking for guys like this makes sense for me as a legend of the sport. I want to fight other legends of the sport. I only read that quote to you because they told Barbarina about that quote. And he said this, Luke, well, that's great. I'm on a legends tour. And the reason why this works is because I'm also a legend. Um, if you had to put the word legend in the same sentence as Bam Bam Barbarina, what would be the context, Luke? Uh... Does he have a mullet or he has a mohawk, right? Yeah, yeah but it's 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 a, it's like a smaller version this time around. He's he's like serious right now, you know. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I don't know. You know, I I'm not going to sit here and demean him. Uh, I'm not going to say terrible things about him. But um, the reality is, you know, you would have to. I mean, you'd have to have a very expansive version of the definition of legend, legend for yeah. you know for the fighting skills to incorporate him, but. I mean, uh, Liver King is an ancestral legend. No, he's he's a D-ball legend. Um, I, listen, Barbarina's a real threat in this fight for a lot of different reasons. 
not because he has the same skills that Dos Anjos has shown, although he does have some, certainly, but because he just represents a very, very tough kind of durable guy who you have to really take the fight to to beat. I don't know if Dos Anjos can stop him, to be honest. I mean, he might. I guess we'll see. I tend to think this one probably could go the distance, and you might even see Barbarina steal around. Like, this could be, like, to your point about the odds, this could actually be closer than folks realize. It's just hard for me to see him stopping Dos Anjos yeah. or taking two of three rounds from him, certainly not all three. That That's the hard part. I just can't look past. So I tend to think Dos Anjos wins. I saw a quote from RDA saying, uh, I'm actually happy this is a three-round fight, which you could think in theory would benefit Barbarina if it benefits anybody. But what RDA said is, look, of my last eight fights, seven of them have been scheduled for five rounds. So, look, here, you know, he's moving back up in weight. He's going to be as healthy, comfortable, and ready as ever. Look for RDA to carve him up. But Barbarina going the distance from a betting standpoint, he might be tough enough in this one, Luke. He might, he might be at the end of the day. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. Uh, interesting flyweight tilt that we set up here uh, with potential title implications when number six, Mateus Nicolau, a minus 380 favorite, takes on the always game, Matt Schnell, plus 310. As you look at the, the rankings at the moment, Figueredo is going to take on number one, Brandon Moreno, for the fourth time. You've got Pandoja, Pantoja at two, KK France at three, Royval and Alex Perez right behind him. Luke, if Nicolau can extend that win streak and that overall hot stretch he's on, which I believe is 11 wins in his last 12 fights, uh, how close? How close are we talking title shot here? Because there's no one else in this division which has had so much top-end parity that's been this hot as he has entering this one. Yeah, and I think he'd be a fresh challenge. The only issue is, and obviously a fight like this against Schnell is designed both to see where he's at. Schnell had to shave his head in order to make weight, but is a good fighter, a good, a tough test. Um, getting past a guy like that who's action-oriented as well, I think if Nicolau can, would boost his fortunes. You mentioned, like, would it be a title number one contender kind of thing? I, I I still think that most fans just don't know who he is, and so yeah. there's not going to be a lot of people clamoring for him to get it. Again, we'll see what happens on Saturday, see how much he can boost his fortunes with it. But I do think what might happen is if he beats Schnell, and I think the wrestling, again, the grappling will be a component there. Although Schnell's got you know good triangles and everything else. He's hardly a, some kind of scrub on the ground. But I think if he can, he's going to start the conversation about it. Like when yeah. Rodriguez, I think, beat... Who'd she beat? She beat Dern. That's when she began to be like, hey, the title conversation needs to happen. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for her in her last fight against Lamos, but you get the idea. Like, that got the ball rolling. I think it's going to get the ball rolling for Nicolau if he can get a win. Schnell ranks seven, so you got a six versus a seven here. Askar Askarov no longer in this division, so... Could there be an opportunity to make a big leap for the winner? Winner, we will see. But I certainly like Nikolaus' chances here as the betting favorite. Uh, we got to get a pick in this heavyweight tilt that we talked about. Tai Tuivasa, a plus one eighty underdog, exactly ninety days removed come fight night from that that I don't want to say all time brawl against Cyril Gom, but. There was some all-time oh-boy moments in that brawl. Uh, we talked about the big turnaround here. He's taking on Sergey Pavlovich, who's hot, is a minus-210 betting favorite. They asked Ty specifically uh, about that quick turnaround this time. And, Luke, it seems like the answer is more about he wants to get one more fight in to have money to get his six-year-old son something big for Christmas. He wants to take off a bunch of time to start the new year. So I feel like this was a little bit more like, let me just take an opportunity, bank one more, get back out there, show you guys I'm still it. 
But I am not big, big concerned, but, uh, you know, pretty concerned here on a 90 day turnaround because of the damage taken against Gon. Um, I want to read you one quote because I don't know if I understand it here. He was asked by ESPN Australia about whether he felt like he missed an opportunity to stop Cyril Gon during that melee they had. He said, I knew that Cyril wasn't out. I know when I punch someone flush and someone with that fitness to recover from being rocked, fitness plays a big part. And I knew that once he started hopping around the back, uh, he'd be back to normal if he was hopping around. So I let all my guns out. I'm saying if I let all my guns out at that point, I would have shit myself in there like I did anyway. End quote. Does in this case, does shit yourself based on the context mean gas out and get stopped or does it does he did he literally have a r.i.p saragusa moment in there oh old goose god he was fat um like what does that mean luke uh, here's the quote Uh, and i knew that once he started hopping around that he was back to normal so if i let all my guns out i would have shit myself in there like i did anyway was he at your your pre-show meeting luke uh my pre-show meeting was solo it was solo. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, Aussie slang is just different. I don't quite. I don't think he means he actually defecated in his dungarees. I don't think that's okay. what he means. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Put some venom in those shorts. Yeah, for sure, Luke. Um, yeah. Speaking of Aussie slang, he also said about this quick turnaround. I've got a few niggles that need to be attended to. I may. I, did I just cancel myself? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I don't even. I don't. I literally don't even want to say that word. Yeah, please, it's way too close to the target. All right, so here's the deal. 90 Day Fiance, quick turnaround. He's an underdog. Does Tai Tuivasa get back on track against a legitimate rising contender here in Pavlovich? I'm going to say yes. You know, I normally go chalk in the betting, and uh, our guy, Hakeem, over at uh, Dermish, uh, CBS Sports HQ always kills me for it. But this time, I'm going to go underdog. Now, listen. The reason why I'm saying that is because it, it is very possible that Pavlovich in his UFC debut against Overeem just was, you know, just had a poor showing for his debut. Like it it wasn't representative of what he actually is. And in fact, what we've seen over the last, uh, was it three or four fights since, he has looked more like himself. That could honestly be the real reality here. I'm just not sure. I'm just not entirely sure. I don't, I'm not, I don't have enough clear information to say, ah, yes, this guy is, the next big thing, or however good he's going to be at heavyweight. Taito Ivasa to me is much more proven, and gone is you know that's a that's a tough nut to crack. Like that's a very very difficult guy to find, to hurt, to keep to make sustained effort against. Even again five rounds, this is only going to be a three round contest. I think Taito Ivasa, despite all of the you know drinking out of shoes and pissing himself in the bed and everything else he's done, is actually a pretty talented guy who we know has a good chin and big power. And I tend to think that he probably has something for Pavlovich in this contest. We shall see, but I'm not, I just don't have enough evidence to conclude yet that Pavlovich is the guy in this weight class. Well, what's interesting about Pavlovich is he is even, this is a three round fight, obviously. I think it's kind of buried. We talk about that on Wednesday, but even though he went five rounds in 2017, the only time in his career, and he actually won the uh, heavyweight Grand Prix under the Fight Nights Global banner, all five of his UFC fights subsequently have ended in the first round, right? He got knocked out by Overeem in the debut, as you mentioned, and has stopped four straight fighters. In the first round, Derek Lewis being the biggest name, but it was also a weird fight, 55 seconds, and Lewis was done. Is this the potential here for Pavlovich to not get exposed, but like if Ty can take him into 
late round two, third round, and it's the type of crazy, high-paced, batshit, violent fight. Does that all play into Tai Tuivasa's hands, regardless of our fear that this this turnaround is pretty quick for the damage he took? The thing is, Pavlovich is kind of like a come-forward guy, which I tend to think, yes, that makes him dangerous. I mean, that no doubt about it. Let me look at the highlights here when just the pictures we're showing you. It makes him dangerous, but it also makes him susceptible to what Tai Tuivasa does well. So, you know, if Tai Tuivasa is not dialed in, and to your point, might just be taking a fight to get, I don't know, money or just another one if he can, or, you know, not for reasons of uh, more normal, appropriate matchmaking considerations, well, then we'll see what happens. But I tend to think that there's enough questions about Pavlovich, plus what we do know about his fight style in conjunction with Taito Ivasa's sturdiness in these situations to make me think this is a case where Tuivasa should win. So could be an interesting one, but I think Taito Ivasa might get his hand raised. It's it's weird, though, like we talked about, where Tuivasa is going backwards in the rankings to try to, in one spot, but to try to get whatever fight he could. But here's what I don't like about it, Luke, and we kind of teased on this theme Wednesday, but but again, uh, Ty was asked about it. So people asked him, like, okay, well, what's your, what are your thoughts on if John Jones gets Ngannou, like, where if you beat Pavlovich, where are you in that picture? What about Cyril Ganu beat you? Like, you know, what does this win do for you? His response was literally, I couldn't give a fuck what any of those guys do. I fight for the paycheck. You know that. That's all I fight for. Luke, I just feel like we're too far into modern MMA where you're going to have to be a businessman to navigate these waters and... and you know, with so much going against you still in this fighter pay era where that's all we're talking about, where if you act, I don't want to say like a company man, but too much like a gaucho, like an old school gunslinger and just take whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't know. That's not the best business strategy when you have what Tuivasa has, which is something. There's a spark inside of him that means he can compete against any heavyweight on any night. He's got a super, he's got some superhuman intangibles in there. If he loses this fight, I really think we're going to talk about, like, why the hell did you take that? Like, maybe you should have a better strategy on maximizing your brand and how that plays into the rankings. Even if you're only so focused, like you mentioned, is money, maybe a little bit more slicker navigation will lead to better money and bigger opportunities by being a little bit more judicious in your in your uh, selection process. Am I making any sense here, Luke, or is this just a cowboy sport? So get the hell out of the way, BC, or you're going to get run over. Uh, here's the thing in a cowboy sport even though it's so chaotic like you can make a bad decision about why you take a fight and then still win and be like oh i guess it all worked out and then you actually have to pay the piper later down the road so like you could actually be right about this fight get the wrong result and then he has to pay for it later even in a case where he took that fight for better reasons you know what i mean like there's just it's hard to know if you're right until it actually coincides with the results, which it may or may not. But I guess the thing I would say is it's a fair concern. But even with that concern, I don't know, man. Tuivasa, I think, might surprise some folks. Right, I, he, right. I don't think your concerns are crazy. I'll put it that way. I don't think they're crazy at all. No, and he may, you know, he may just go out there and punch a hole through him, and that's what it is at the end of the day. Who am I, Luke? Who am I to speak about that? Um, I do want your pick on one more fight on here, and you can offer whatever else you're looking from this card. But to wrap here, Luke, you know I got my eyes on this buried early prelim in the women's flyweight division when Tracy Cortez and Amanda Hebos go in there. It's a, it's a BC special on many levels. 
But this is also a pick 'em. They're both minus 110 on the betting lines. And, you know, Tracy Cortez is 28 years old. She's 10 and 0 since losing her pro debut in 2017. That came in Invicta. She got submitted by Sherry Murasaki. Murasaki, excuse me. Uh, of those, of that 10 fight win streak, though, the last six have all been by decision. She says, look, I was taken aback this at finding out this was in the early prelims, but I think this will be the fight that determines me moving up for good. I know I'm in the underestimated fighter. I think they need to remember that I'm a challenge as well. This is the right the right question for you, Luke, because sometimes when you're, you know, a good-looking fighter, people are going to kind of undervalue you, and now she's with Brian Ortega, and there's some, you know, celebrity hype that comes with that. She's also won her last 10 She's six and six straight here uh, in the UFC. Is she being slept on a bit, considering Hebos has only fought twice at 125, and you know you could argue this isn't her best weight class. How? What are the odds here, outside of what the betting oddsmen are telling you, that Tracy Cortez surprises us and scores her biggest win to date? I think that the hesitancy is not that like when she's dealing, it doesn't everything looks kind of right. I think in her last fight, and there's probably a series of reasons that it looked that way. She just looked a little bit unsure and unable to like truly elevate her offense to its the, ve- the next gear up. So she didn't look bad, like by no means, by no, 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 no means did she look poor. It was just like, okay, you got it done, but is there anything else? That it, there wasn't a lot of razzle dazzle. And again, there could be a number of factors about, um, you know, uh, some of the things you articulated about contributing to that. But uh, Hebos has been like really good at times and then like really down at times. So like the odds have him as a pick em, but like with Hebos, it's like, okay, well, when she's on, she's really on. You can see it. And when she's down, it just, you know, she looks like, wow, how is this even the same fighter? Whereas Cortez is not as, or at least more recently, has not been as impressive, but is a little bit more consistent throughout. And so that's what you're dealing with here. Like what is the, st- so I understand to an extent, I understand some of the skepticism around Cortez. I, not, not, I, not, I don't fully endorse it, but I get some of it. Um, I tend to, th- I, oh, I don't know about this one, BC. Do you have a read? I got to tell you, like of all the fights, I usually have a lean. I don't know if I have a strong lean in this one. I'm trying to find out more about them both, and I haven't I, seen it I yet. Don't ha- I, I don't have a strong inclination. Like, I get what she's saying. She's like, look, you know, I, and I was wrong. She's won all five UFC fights, not six, but it, she is on a six straight run of decisions. But right. it's like she's been, you know, clean sheet, and it's not like she hasn't beaten anybody. I mean, she gave Mar- Mar- Maria Agapova an early defeat when she was looking like a, a big thing, and she's got the only win over Aaron Blanchfield. It was a split decision under the Invicta banner back in 2019. But Hebos, to me, is more complete more explosive, and even though I don't necessarily love Amanda at this weight class in comparison to 115 in terms of what's the best version of her, she did push Caitlin Chukagi into a split decision in her last fight in this division. The other win was a demolition of Paige Van Zandt in her final UFC fight, also at this weight class. I am very surprised that this is a straight-up pick Luke. I When I look at this matchup, I think, okay, Cortez has a lot to show us. But Hebos, for the times that, look, she, I thought she disappointed us when she got stopped by Marina Rodriguez. No, you know, or may, maybe not the loss, but the stoppage at least. I, w- I was shocked there. I still think Hebos is the better fighter. I love what this fight means for the future of the division here and, and sort of uh, how even it is on paper. But I'm feeling Hebos here and I'm feeling her big, Luke. Mm. Am I just a big jerk? I, mean, I don't know. It's, you know. I, again, dude, this is, I usually feel like I got a, some, even though, even of a small tingling, I usually went in one direction or the other. 
This one I don't. I think just for fun, I'll take Cortez, but I, your case is strong. Your case is good. Like when when Hebas is, you know, to the UBL, the upper bound limit on her, it looked to, it, at times, it has looked to be very high, right? Very high. Whereas Cortez kind of has this like accumulative greatness or this accumulative um, success. And so it feels a little less inspiring, but the results are pretty goddamn clean. So I'm going to lean towards Cortez just for fun, but truly for me, a coin flip, truly a coin flip. Do you have any other fights you want to make picks from this uh, intriguing UFC Orlando card top to bottom? The, the Angela Hill Ducati one to me is interesting. Um, I think Hill could win that one. She is a slight underdog, but Ducati is tough, man. Ducati's real good. I like that fight a lot. I'll lean towards Ducati, even though I like Angela Hill quite a bit. Um, also, the Eric Anders-Kyle Dawkins fight. Dawkins is, to me, a more skillful fighter. I like Dawkins' game a lot, but he's coming back pretty quickly from a face break. And, you know, your boy Eric Anders is a little bit loose, a little bit wild at times, but he's a big, strong dude. So I think Dawkins is going to win, should win. But that one could get a little crazy hairy. at times, too. Yeah, it could get hairy. And if it does for Dawkins, Luke, even if he wins, it's he's got he's to gotta share some things up. I mean that it was Roman Delize who punched who punched a hole in him uh, that last fight out. So he's tough. He's the brother of of heavyweight Chris Dawkins. That's a correct. Correct. Answer, right? Yes. Yeah, so he's Philly, Philly tough, Luke. We know I'm that. Um, I this like is, Philly. Philly's an all right place. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 people Philadelphia, shit on Luke. Philly. When was the last time you were in Philly? I've been. I've done time in Philly. It's a. I mean, it, can you get surprised and is there certain charm? Yeah, but I mean, as far as Northeast cities go, which I think has some of the, you know, classiest cities, I mean, it's it's, it's not even close to New York or Boston, Luke, well, in dude, terms of... I mean, New York City has got to claim as one of the best cities in the world. Okay, well, Philly's yeah. in a tough spot between D.C., which I just, you know, had a little taste of in April and was like, holy shit, outside of the price and the attitude from the service workers, Luke, what a freaking city you live in. This ain't D.C., Boston, or New York. And I know that's saying a lot, but to me, every other city, Baltimore, Philly, they're all the same below that level. Har Har Hartford sucks, Luke, okay? Hartford, Hartford, Hartford's it's true. Worst. I mean, just sink it into the ocean already. Just let Albany, it I mean, come on, you know, just, uh, yeah. Albany sucks. Dude. I like Pittsburgh a lot sad. better than Philadelphia, okay, Luke? Philly, I mean, yeah, you know, if you're going to compare it to New York and maybe even Boston, it's, it's a tough thing. But I'll say this for Philly, it's a lot cheaper than D.C. It's a lot cheaper than D.C. So are you considering, is that in, you know, is that on your future life option list, a potential move to greater my, Philadelphia? My, my wife had like, you know, toyed with the idea, but the reality is like, we, we don't know anyone there and it's still closer to the studio, but it's not really all like that close, you know? So probably not. I think you should take on the idea I had that, you know, that floor below our studio uh, in Jersey City that was like empty. Remember we took those COVID tests there when that lady like jammed it up into my brain and was like having fun laughing at me and stuff. Um, I think that we, they should you know, uh, reno those and make apartments for you and I. Do you and, know how often I would eat at that Taco Bell if they and <laughs> and you know the MK Doc will be a living Doc at that point, Luke. You know, and we could spend a, you know a few days a week there, and I mean it could be it could be great. Um, yeah, there you go. Enjoy UFC Fight Night Orlando. Uh, a lot of other tasty dishes we talked about on Wednesday on the undercard. Yasmin Horage, Luke. So that you're right. Quite I did some more Horage. In the opener against uh, Estella Nunes, that's going to be interesting to see if she can continue to make some noise coming out of Mexico there. Hey, let's go to Saturday. It's in the afternoon. Actually, by the way, it could be 
Quareggi. Like well, that, I don't know, I don't know if there has accents on with the, with the U or the I there, so it wouldn't necessarily be Huaregi. It could be Huaregi. Okay, I never know if I should call it a Doritos or a Huritos, Luke. It's really good soda, though, you know. Oh, like the like the the orange and green one. Yeah, yeah, I like the tamarind one. That one's pretty good. Too, you know, I've you know? never had it. All right, all right, uh, Luke. It goes down Saturday, Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium there in Greater London. And in the heavyweight championship of the world, in boxing is on the line when unbeaten Tyson Fury enters as a minus 2,500 betting favorite <laughs> in this largely unnecessary... Are we going to do this? Are we really going to break this fight down? Uh, ...trilogy with Derek Chisora. A reminder, I believe the main card starts 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus in the afternoon. Uh... Yeah, so Luke, uh, storylines-wise, we already hit it. There's, I wrote a column on CBS Sports about it. I don't know what to do with Tyson Fury's comments because you either take that mental health scare stuff like super seriously or you're like, okay, he's just spinning another web to get you to stop talking about how this fight shouldn't be here and kind of sucks. It sucks. They fought twice, the last time being 2014. And I'm looking back, I don't even think there was call for a rematch at that point, to be fair. Because Chisora, historically, as much as I love Del Boy, he's all about war. When he steps up, yeah, he gave Alexander Usyk actually a, a good push in, in Usyk's real first heavyweight fight after that uh, quick tune-up in the first one. But we know who he is. That, that rematch in 2014 didn't even need to happen, and he got stopped in that. This fight blows. So, Luke, let's frame it like this. I think this is an unnecessary gamble from Tyson Fury and a lot of for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, he's saying that he doesn't need the money. I get the the narrative about like if I'm not fighting, my mental health is going to go to shit and I'm in my life's going to be another, you know, and I respect that, but I do have an I don't know response to the sincerity given how Tyson regularly operates. But when you take a chance and risk the money in the history, which could be on the line if he wins this and takes on Usyk to open 2023, and you're risking it here, like, you already dodged a bullet, Tyson Fury. 2019, in between fights one and two against Deontay Wilder, remember they they stretched out the build to that rematch? Fury fought twice in largely unnecessary fights against Tom Schwartz the first time, and then against unbeaten but unheralded Otto Valin. And even though... Because of that performance, we don't put Valine in the same category as like Surf and Safari and those other chumps that Fury fought. But a, a punch, a legitimate punch opened up maybe the most vicious cut we've seen in, in popular boxing in a while in a fight that wasn't stopped. Fury should have been stopped and lost by TKO at really any point. I'll give him credit for biting down. He won a decision. He made it to the finish line against Valine. Look, he almost lost his unbeaten record in lineal championship that night right there that would have potentially cost him or delayed. These are different stakes, though. The undisputed fight against, you know, against Usyk. And look, I know that everybody close to Fury is like, don't listen to him. He wants the Usyk fight. I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous that he beats Chisora and then goes, yep, guys, that's it. It's confirmed. I'm done for good. I'll see you in WWE next year. I don't want Tyson to ruin this on his own accord or by Ch Chisora upsetting him. How many times can you take an unnecessary risk like this, Luke? Uh, a lot. I mean, you can... <laughs> I mean... He, no, without it burning you. He almost got burned against Valine, who turned out to be better than we thought. Yeah, yeah. Although partly that was not just the way Valine fought, but as you indicated, you know, and we've talked about many times, it was the cut. Like, if there's no cut, that fight isn't quite as perilous, you know? Um, I'll say this. We talked about it on Wednesday. Fury beat his ass once on the 
cards, and then the second time, Chisora's corner had to help him out, basically, right? And that was a younger, better version of this version of Chisora, Chisora who some people kind of poo-poo, but is actually, I think, a pretty decent talent and, you know, a big puncher and, and that kind of a thing. Um, there's no good reason Chisora should win this fight. Zero. He should not win this fight, which isn't to say he won't, but there's really no good reason. BC, I share all of your concerns. Let me stack another thing on top of it. I And you hear a lot of fighters say this, especially in boxing, where they're fighting a guy they're not supposed to be fighting, and they do it to like defend themselves about why this guy has gotten the opportunity. And so what I'm about to tell you, you've heard a million times. But it's Fury, and Fury is a showman, and Fury is a guy who... Like, Fury wants to go in there and win and, like, do well, but he also wants to razzle-dazzle and entertain a little bit. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. He said to the media, like, dude, fuck all of these critics. They don't know what they're talking about. This fight is great. And you just never know, you know... Anything can happen in a boxing fight against a big puncher with a guy like Chisora. Now, that's standard fare for what you hear in situations like this in MMA or boxing, but especially boxing in the conditions aforementioned, which we find ourselves with this one. BC, I wonder, I wonder if Tyson Fury is not in shape all of, and not ready to do this and just doing this for all the wrong reasons, all of your concerns are in play. But let's say he actually is still good enough to win this, you know, blindfolded. Does he invite more risk than he's supposed to to make the fight look more competitive? In short, carry Chisora to make the fight look a certain way and by doing that, court demise. Does he like actually be like, you know, I'm going to let this guy land on me a little bit, miscalculates, and then the whole thing ends up being fucked up. Honestly, I wouldn't say that about, about a guy like Anthony Joshua. I don't think he would invite risk that way. I wouldn't say it about a guy like, you know, Robert Hellenius. I wouldn't I wouldn't really say that or pick another heavyweight who you think is a little bit more of sort of a careful kind of puncher. But Fury, I think, would absolutely do that. Fury would absolutely invite that kind of risk. Still don't think that means Chisora is going to win, but Fury says weird shit and he does things for weird reasons. Yeah. And that always makes you a little bit nervous, does it's it not? Just, it- Look, I, I watched a Carl Frampton interview he did, a sit-down with uh, BT Sport a couple weeks ago. And, like, the two quotes that just kind of haunt me in a way that, like, man, I hope... It makes me go, I hope he's just being a snake oil salesman, and I hope that he's exploiting his own <laughs> challenges, which may be birthed in some real, you know, feelings. Because he says... He's trying to say he did retire in April, that it was legit. But, you know, being back at home with nothing to do, 
gave him that deep, dark depression feeling that he had, you know, after after the beating Klitschko and we know what happened next. But what he said, what I don't love is he said, like, I have no motivation. I shouldn't be out there. And uh, what happens to me if I find somebody who's not in there like I am just doing going through the motions and they're in there to feed their family and they come and fight. I'm in trouble. Right. Like, and he said it in a way that was like, man, that's either like some top level acting and salesmanship or this is fucked up and you shouldn't be in there because Frampton ended up asked, saying to him, okay, I hear what you say about like, you need the sport. How are you going to retire then? Like, how, how is it going to end? And Fury looked in the camera and was like, to be honest with you, it'll probably end in death. Meaning he can't see himself quitting this addiction, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's some dark, grim shit. It's dark and grim if you're using it in an exploitive nature to sell the fight. If you're telling it straight on and real and honest, it's a dark, grim reality. Uh, all that probably means Fury knocks him out in three rounds, Luke. But wow, I guess he did succeed in getting us talking about it one way or the other. This is a weird I mean, fight, man. The only, this is a really dude, weird like, fight. I mean, just think about how stupid this fight is, right? Think about how stupid it is. The only way to sell it is to be like... <laughs> Hey, if I quit boxing, uh, I will spiral into a terrible, you know, horrible uh, addiction, you know, death spiral in its own way. And uh, yeah, that's probably not the best way to fight someone. So that makes it more even like that's literally the only way to fucking sell this fight. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't like that either. That is boxing, though. Plus 1,200, Chisora, the betting underdog, minus 2,500 for Fury. Uh, reminder that Daniel Dubois in that co-main event, he's a minus 1,600 favorite against Kevin Lorena, who has looked pretty good of late and has beaten those type of, like, secondary former names who are tough but washed to get to this point. This is a big step up. Let's see what he can do. Dubois should win. We'll check it out. But, Luke, the main event boxing-wise this weekend is Saturday night. DAZN's going to give it to you. It's from that same arena in in uh, Phoenix that we watched Jake Paul and Anderson Silva just outside there in Glendale, Arizona. And it's the third time, hopefully, the charm of uh, continuing and, and cementing this as one of the best boxing rivalries in this modern era. For all the marbles, in a sense, at 115 Super Flyweight, as Juan Francisco Estrada's WBC title will be on the line. Also, the sort of mythical lineal championship is as well. When he welcomes for a third time the Nicaraguan legend Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Damn, do I love these two fighters. Damn, do I love this rivalry. Uh, Luke, you, you were ho-hum. Like, eh, man, probably be the worst fight of the three, blah, blah. Everyone, the two fighters, Eddie Hearn is saying... This will be the best of the three. Okay, they're motivated salesmanship-wise yeah, to say that. But the thing about if you listen to the interviews of both fighters is they're not overly selling this fight. They have respect for each other, but they are telling you straight up, we're going to war. We have 24 rounds as evidence that that is going to be the case. I was going to sort of set this up on an X's and O standpoint and ponder what the age, though, because Chocolatito not getting any younger. But Luke, don't forget, a lot of people thought he won the rematch in 2021. So the odds makers have Chocolatito as a minus 225 favorite, which shocks me here against the plus 175 Juan Francisco Estrada. It doesn't shock me because, look, Chocolatito won the first one in 2012, right? And I thought he won the second one. So you get that. But look, he's, he poured it out in that second fight. In fact, when they fought March 13th, 2021 in Dallas, a split decision win for Estrada the 117-111 scorecard for Estrada didn't make any sense, but they each traded 115-113 scorecards. 
Do you know they combined for a weight class record 2,529 punches thrown? They combined to land 705. Estrada threw a career-high 1,200 punches. And Gonzalez had the advantage overall, 391 to 314, included, according to CompuBox, including Chuck Latito lending 40% of his power shots. So I'm, I'm here to tell you that he's been the better man in this rivalry. Historically, he's a little bit better, although these are two legends of the smaller weight classes. But Estrada's fresher, closer to the pound-for-pound pound list at the moment. Some people have him in the top 10. And Luke, he's riding a seven-fight win streak as well. What do you how do you sort of make how we look at this with the age and the time? Because you know, they should have re, they should have the third fight in 2021, but here we are a couple years later. Again, I, I don't have a whole I mean, you set it up well. Listen, I'm not telling you it's gonna be a bad fight. I'm I'm telling you it's gonna be a good fight. Like it's gonna be a, it might even be a great one. That's all on the table. What I'm trying to tell you is like, am I like super thrilled for it or something? I don't know that I would say that necessarily. Like, you know, Roman Gonzalez is an incredible fighter. If you've never seen Chocolatito, like, just, dude, impeccable footwork, ring craft for fucking days. I mean, just a joy to watch. And as we indicated on Wednesday, was he 35 at this point? Like, you just don't see guys this age doing what he's doing. Now, you know, I don't know. By the way, is Vada testing involved here? Do you know? I do not know. Yeah, I mean, probably not, right? Like, so, you know, I'm not sure what the hell's happening with all of that, but you get the idea. Like, he is certainly a marvel in many, many ways. And so for that reason alone, he is worth watching. But since their fight, which, again, it was a disputed decision loss, or the, the rematch anyway, a disputed decision loss, we saw Chocolatito fight again, and he looked great. And then we saw Estrada fight. Um, Arhi Cortez, Cortez is his name. Yeah. You can watch some of the footage online. He looked like ass. Yeah, and it, it was close, too. 115-112 yeah. and 114-113. <laughs> right. I mean, that's It didn't look great. So, like, for me, it's, like, between the disputed decisions and then what we've seen since then, yes, 132-135. Now there's exactly a young guy for the division, and what, but one guy is, you know, certainly older and significantly so given the weight class. I I just don't believe Estrada can win. I, and I realize that's cr- – maybe I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. Fine, I'm oversimplifying it, and I'm wrong. If he happens to win on Monday, I will eat crow for my myopia. Had to do it on Monday. I might do it a consecutive Monday in different ways. But I just think Gonzalez is better. I think he's going to show you that he's better. I think he might even end up stopping him here, which wow. I know sounds a little bit crazy as well. I, I, I think he I think he's the king of these two, and I think he's going to prove it without a ton well, of he controversy. Is the king. Look, he is the king of these two. When they fought in their prime earlier, although it was a little early for Estrada, they, he showed you that. He showed you that in the last fight. Uh, it's just it's been almost two years since that last fight. So we're asking a lot of this 35-year-old in Chocolatito, although a legend, although seemingly has gotten the better of Estrada, to do it one more time, in my opinion. That's why I'm a little surprised that it's minus 225. But I want to put a little bit of respect back on Estrada's name. 32 years old, 43-3, and 28 KOs. And here's the cool stat. He's 10-1 since that 2012 close decision loss to Chocolatito in their first meeting. The only loss was against fellow legend Srisakat Sorungvasai by majority decision, of which Estrada went on to avenge in the fight of the year three years ago. And in that 10-1 stretch over the last 10 years, he's beaten Brian Valoria, Milan Melindo, Giovanni Segura, Hernan Marquez, Carlos Cuadras, SSR, 
and Chocolatito, even with the disputed scores. So we are also talking about a legend of the smaller weight classes. Is that freshness a little bit more? I think you have to do look back at that second fight and say what went wrong for him. It was a close fight. It was a great fight. Those two 15-13 scorecards in either way tell you that. Even though I like Gonzalez better, who had the advantage in the punch stats and poured it on down the stretch for an old guy, to me, this is an absolute pick and I can't wait to see it. These are, this is, you know, I hope they author a third one that's the best, Luke, and we look at this rivalry as, as you know, what it deserves for, for these two guys giving it to us. I can't believe Chocolatito's still here. Uh, get ready. Saturday night is going to be a lot of fun, and I look forward to hearing Todd Grisham's exciting voice on that call, Luke. He's yeah, made like Todd. for this Todd's a great series. guy. As well. All right. Chocolatito, 51-3, and three, but what, three-division champion? Just a oh, love that badass. All right, Luke, topic two is our preview and prediction for one on Prime Video 5. It goes on. Uh, is this Saturday night? No, it's, it's tonight. Go- oh, it's tonight. Excuse me. At the uh, In Pasay, Philippines. Dude, and can Luke, we just he- say, like, this card is good, really good, and there's no buzz. There's yeah, no there's, buzz. There's no buzz. It is actually a really good card. So this main event is a very good light heavyweight championship bout. When unbeaten two-division title holder Rainier de Ritter, the Dutch knight himself, is going to welcome in, as you teed up earlier, an absolute hammer, an Anatoly Malikin. Malikin? Do you have a proper pronunciation on there? Is that they, they say on the broadcast Malikin, but I okay. don't, you know, he's Russian, so who the so hell knows? Malikin's 34 years old from Russia. 10-0 with seven KOs. Is the, is the run he's on entering this. He's won all three fights in one championship all by early stoppage. Uh, two first-round knockouts and one early in the second round. But, Luke, we we I'm starting to figure out who RDR is, and this is a guy whose overall record is 16-0. and He's got two world titles. He's outspoken about wanting to eventually move up to heavyweight to get a third, and he's got 14 stoppages in those 16 wins, including 11 by submission. This is all... Damn good fight tonight. Uh, DeRitter trying to hang on to this light heavyweight belt. Love this fight. Love DeRitter. And this dude, Malikin, I'm telling you, if you guys haven't seen him, he's kind of known as a wrestler. And I would say it's actually more wrestle boxer. You might even say, like, wrestle striker because he does employ different ranges. He is heavy-handed, aggressive. He put out Ali... Um, um, uh, um, uh, Ali Akbari's, Amir Ali Akbari's lights out with one shot. He put out, what was the last guy he fought where he won the interim title off of? Another Russian guy. Put his lights out with one shot. He's heavy-handed. He doesn't take a lot of punishment. He can down block. He can take the back. He's got vicious ground and pound. And remember, one has a better rule set where you can knee a grounded opponent, which you see him play with him. He was, again, he's the interim heavyweight champion coming down to their, their light heavyweight to fight DeRitter, DeRitter, clever, rangy, uh, skills everywhere. Just maybe one of the most unheralded guys in terms of the wider awareness of who is awesome out there in all of mixed martial arts. Dude, and by the way, I said it before, I think at the top of the show, this is the first time I think in his one career, DeRitter is an underdog. He's an underdog, and he's the the fucking two-weight champion. Let's look at that. So right now, plus 120 is RDR, the two-division champion, unbeaten. Minus 163, Malikin, the favorite as the interim heavyweight champion, moving down in weight. So I caught up with RDR. You can catch that full interview, youtube.com slash morning combat. But, you know, Luke, he's always outspoken. He's so calm and chill, but he's cocky under that calmness. And, you know, he calls himself not just the best grappler in the world, but on his way to becoming the best MMA fighter. 
I'm I'm new to him, but I'm low quick, Luke. This guy can do some things. I caught up to him though and asked him about this challenge with Malakin. Let's hear from the Dutch Knight himself. Talk to me about this matchup because it seems like it doesn't matter what your opponents bring. If you can control the fight on your terms, take it to the ground, it's over. That's the truth, man. That's the truth. Uh, but he's an interesting matchup. He's uh, dangerous. He's been knocking people out left and right. I've been strangling people unconscious left and right. Um, and it's about time, man. He's the, he's the heavyweight champion. I've been uh, asking for that fight for a long time. I've got it. It's at light heavyweight. And, um, man, I'm just happy to be able to do it again. Luke, he taps everybody out. The key question that I asked, and we're going to hear it from it in a second, is, you know, has his full game come around? I'm day one on just finding out about this guy. I'm watching the tape. I'm impressed. You got a little bit more background on him. How good is the rest of his game separate from that ability, which I asked him about what, what makes him special on the ground? His, you know, he's, he seems to be always one step ahead of his opponents. His technique seems flawless. And, dude, he gets taps. Can he strike just the same, though? Uh, I mean, his striking on the feet is not nearly as good as his ground game. There is, to me, a disparity, although he is competent there. But the other part I would point to is, you know, a lot of folks sort of note that. And I know what I also say, um, and this is common among jujitsu guys or guys with a grappling orientation who are not strictly from wrestling. Like, you don't see this from the Dagestanis, but you might see it from, like, BJJ guys where a little too willing to concede position through scrambles because, hey, I can get submissions anywhere, which is true. Like, he can. He's undefeated but as a general rule as you climb the ranks you want to be less inclined to be like oh i got swept fine i'll just work for my guard and again it worked against big dash great but don't don't do that if you don't have to especially against this fucking hammer who he's fighting yeah. but what i would say is the other component that i have begun to see grow in his game is not just that he has great submissions but pretty good ground and pound both as a way to facilitate submissions so like hammer fist to open up an arm and then he can snatch it or just outright pounding on guys sometimes when he is a little bit more thoughtful about control positions from the back or something like that. So here's what I would say. Like, he can't make that mistake against Malakin where he's like, oh, I'll just fight from my guard. Yeah, maybe you can submit him from your guard. It's possible. We've talked about it on the show before. It is the higher you go, the, the rarer it becomes where you can submit someone, even in pure MMA terms, much less pure grappling terms, from your guard. The guard is a very useful position but it's far more useful in beginner to intermediate stages for getting submissions than it is in the advanced stages of someone's yeah. career. So, <clears throat> um, the, but here's what I'll say. If I'm DeRitter, I don't want to fight this guy on the feet. And, you know, Malakin has good wrestling. To me, this is going to be a case where I'm going to want to tie up with him and really try and find the back. I think getting to Malakin's back is going to be really, really, really important. Um, but it, I can see why he's the underdog here, dude. Malakin is, I'm telling you, I, like everyone talks about Rainier De, De, De Ritter, which they should. He's amazing, two-weight world champion. But this dude, Malakin, yo, one found something with this guy. He is a fucking bulldozer. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the fight right there. If he can, no one's been able to stop RDR from taking them down and then eventually, you know, he, he finds a way and figures you out and taps you out. You know, he doesn't think there's anyone that can consistently. What if... Malikin can be that stopgap uh, on the takedown defense, and then we see if RDR's game on the feet, which he's shown in flashes, shown it to set up his his takedowns, and, and, and you know he looks good on the feet. 
but he's going to have to be great potentially against a bigger man here. And even that fight against Vitaly Big Dash that you mentioned where he defended the middleweight title last time out, he got caught in that in that uh, choke early on, which was, you know, surprising to see. And he told me, no, it wasn't a big deal. It was fine. But uh, this, you know, he's a daring fighter at times, RDR. So let's see what happens. I think I got one more piece of sound on him on the evolution of his game and where he thinks he's at entering this. Talk to me about your evolution as a striker and, and where do you think you're at? Yeah, I think it's there. Um, I believe it's there. Uh, I know it's there. Um, I'm Dutch for a reason. You, you, I, you know I work on, uh, on my uh, kickboxing skills uh, on a daily basis. Um, I'm always lankier than my opponents. I can hit them when they can't hit me. And the, the good thing is they want to come in, but they don't want to come in because when they come in, I take them down and strangle them. So um, my kickboxing and my grappling um, really go hand in hand. And um, to be honest, I don't really see anybody uh, stopping takedowns uh, anytime soon. So um, be cool to show off some more kickboxing. Um, but I need uh, the right dance partner for it. All right, I'm fired up for this fight, Luke. Final question on RDR in this matchup is this. This is now beating a heavyweight if he does it, okay? A guy coming down who has the interim strap right now. Um, he gave me the sound, but everybody wants to hear, which is, I'll beat Adesanya and Poetan on the same night. He claims, not consistently, but if needed, he can make 185 against anybody in the world. Obviously, one, you can hydrate higher up, so he doesn't have to consistently do that. He's the middleweight and light heavyweight champion. If he beats a heavy interim heavyweight title list here to set up a future date for the heavyweight belt and becomes, I guess in theory, the first three division active champion in, in elite MMA, right? I always thought Connor would get a shot. Pitbull's talking about maybe doing it. What would that mean? What would that mean to where this guy, you know, deserves to be ranked and considered globally? I mean, I just found out about him. He's the underdog in this matchup. That's how good one is at the moment. But what the hell would that mean if he becomes our first three division champion? Um. Well, this is at light heavyweight. So my understanding well, is the the heavyweight interim title is not on the line here right but if he beats the interim heavyweight champion right right, right. so it'll so like, set what up it, what does it mean right, right it'll right, set right, up right. a future date for the belt there's no question right. you know if he could do it and honestly i would say like again like i, I bash their weigh-ins and all the silly things chatri says but dude one is a great product that's a really great product they have quality fighters um i think yeah. it would be i dan people always talk about connor being the the first champ champ but really it was dan henderson right in a major organization anyway it was dan henderson um it won't really sink into the history books in a very forceful way until it happens with ufc and i think we need to be honest about that but getting two belts in two far apart weight classes essentially in mma right where there's not six or seven pounds separating them is extremely difficult to do three in a top organization like one um, I think, I think it would usher in a bunch of copycats trying to do the same thing. I, yeah. Most would probably fail at it, but it would just tell you, I don't know. I'd have to think about it to be honest. I haven't given it much thought. I'm going to give you a bullshit answer because I haven't thought about it, but I would tell you he, if he gets it, he would need to be on a consideration on a pound for pound list. Top. I, I agree with you, but he's got to win this one first tonight. Uh, one on Amazon prime five from the Philippines. And look, they made a bit of news today. One. Uh, signing a deal with FanDuel TV to bring martial arts events to network and FanDuel Plus. So, Luke, any of these non-numbered like numbered prime cards, you know how they have these in-between ones, like there's another mm -hmm. card on Saturday? Those, mm -hmm. that, that's going to debut this Saturday. One, the, the event is called 1-164, Pacio versus Brooks. That's going to kick off on FanDuel 
uh, TV. Your thoughts on this bit of news? Yeah, that's fine. Brandon Brandon Vera is fighting um, Amir, Amir Ali Akbari, so the guy who Malikin just dusted off. So that should be fun, uh, actually. And there's some other fights on there. That, although the the a bunch of guys in the Muay Thai uh, tournament missed weight, so that no one wins the title at all or the tournament anyway, which is a disaster for them. But uh, yeah, in general, that's fine. By the way, we didn't even mention small piece of news. BC less relevant to anyone who doesn't watch La Liga. But the UFC and La Liga, that is the major soccer organization out of Spain, they signed a promotional agreement together. It was announced yesterday. So you saw like Brandon Moreno go over and visit like Atletico Madrid. And I think Ilya Tuporia went and visited, you know, Sevilla or whoever, some, some other team. Oh, no, Valencia. He visited Valencia and it was a whole thing. But they're going to send La Liga players to do like, you know, cross promotion with UFC stuff. It's a small little gesture, but it's kind of interesting. I love La Liga. I watch it more than any other league um, in European soccer. And, uh, Fun little note. Fun little note. Yeah, especially if you like soccer, that'd be a hugely fun note. Unless you're part of that Serie A racist bullshit like Big Lou the cameraman, right? Yeah, Luke? Big Lou loves racist soccer, uh, not me. Quickly to close on this one on Prime Five card, Luke. Uh, on the on the on the early card, we got Umar Kane, of course, Rugrug, the the big heavyweight. Edward Furlong is back off the set of Terminator Two. But how <laughs> moved are you for the co-main event? When your boy Cade Rutolo defends that uh, lightweight submission grappling title against Matthias Gabriel, Matthews, 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 yeah, Cade is must-watch grappling. I mean, not just good, but innovative. And uh, uh, remember, folks, remember something: Cade Rutolo, one eighty cc, right? Youngest guy to ever do it, and won all of his matches via submission on the way there. I mean, he is just what you want out of a jiu-jitsu fighter. You want this kid. You want someone who fucking goes for it, and he goes for it. So, to me, he shouldn't lose. I, I suspect he'll win. I suspect he'll win via submission, but it should be fun just the same. Topic three, Luke, takes us to the extended James Cross betting conversation with the UFC. While we still don't have a answer on the fallout for Cross from this investigation having to do, of course, with that with that fight, with the early injury stoppage, and all of Kraus, one of the most respected MMA coaches, uh, you know, history of making money in, in in betting on fights and his Discord podcast and all that, Luke. But we're starting to see the fallout. And yesterday's news is this from ESPN's David Payne Perdue breaking it. The Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, Canada, has notified sportsbooks that they must stop offering and accepting wagers on UFC events due to, quote, concerns about non-compliance with AGCO's betting integrity requirements, end quote. Uh, Ontario, of course, houses the, the major city of Toronto. That, that province is one of the biggest hotbeds for MMA fandom in North America without question. Uh, Luke, it's probably going to get bad for Kraus unless, you know, he can defend himself here in this investigation. We'll see where that goes. This feels connected to it and also feels pretty big. How do you react to this? This is huge. I mean, can you imagine if this is the NFL and like you couldn't, I mean, Ontario houses, like, I think I looked it up like 14.5 million. So let's just say 15 million people. Right. I mean, dude, that's a like. And as you mentioned, a key market in Toronto, which is, you know, nothing to be sneezed at. Like if the MLB had a situation where people couldn't bet in that scenario or the NFL, this would be a monumental story. This is a huge story. Now, again, there are a ton of unknowns here. So we need to be very, very careful about what we declare to be true or what we say we think we know. And we, there's a lot we don't. 
One thing I would say is the AGCO, as you indicated, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, one thing that they said was that there was the publicized issue. They didn't mention the fight by name, but it was pretty clear that they were referencing the Derek Minner fight. But they said that there was not just that one, that there were other issues in other jurisdictions that also caught their attention. And Aaron Bronstetter, friend of the show, of course, relative uh, Canadian, asked the AGCO what it would require for the bets to be accepted and wagered on in that territory again. And their answer was effective enforcement of the UFC's own policies that they now have on the books, albeit relatively late. Why do I bring this up? It sounds to me like, uh, again, this is put like on the screen. This is Luke's speculation. It is no more, no less. But based on what they wrote in their press release, it sounds to me, BC, that like the case of the Minner fight may have been like the final impetus to actually do something. Not the only one. Not the only one. And I'll go back to something, BC. It has been a long-standing practice. In fact, so long, I think the UFC is going to have to figure something out here because the UFC really understands something very much, which is it is always better. This is why when you talk about like the payments not getting recorded, I just can't take it seriously because the one thing that UFC has done really well in, in years and what is a big reason for their success among having a dynamic product is that they, for the most part, man, they really try and, and do things right by the regulators. It, you know, and they, of course, that they get lax standards in certain t- cases where Dana White gets his power slap league regulated, and that's fucking ridiculous. But they know you can't fight the regulators. You can't fight the commission. You cannot fight the betting integrity initiatives. You cannot fight the governor. You have to have them on your side for your product to really thrive. And so being in compliance and having a compliance department in the outside the Zufa offices and the UFC is extremely important for them, and I get that. So I think they're really going to try and do this the right way, and, and they will. But fighters routinely, 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 routinely shield injury disclosures from medical staff, from the UFC, from their opponent, from anyone. And before, that was not great, but it didn't raise so many issues. In the world of betting and this uh, acceptance of sports gambling and the way that they've done it, creates new complications. You might be like, well, why doesn't that create a problem for the NFL or for MLB? Well, because the teams there do a much better job of, because obviously the athletes have a different incentive structure, but they actually know what the injuries are. They disclose them to the public. They have all different kinds of lists of physically unable to perform and blah, 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 right? Where everything is designated and known and players play with certain injuries and blah, 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 but it's all above board. But in a world where you're shielding injuries, and then there's betting involved, yeah. it creates a lot of fucking problems, huge problems. And I don't know what the UFC is going to do about it because it's not so easy to fix, BC, but I think until they can get a handle on that, this is going to be a difficult issue to resolve for them. Well, yeah, because we are at day one, really, of of betting being so... I mean, not day one, like it's been, you know, it's been a slow build to get to this point, but I can't believe we're at this point. Whereas I always mention, I mean, you're, you're getting odds on the screen flashed at you. You're getting tweets of the, Hey, this bet was just recorded on this fighter and the UFC talking about it. Every commercial is John Anik at the desk at the DraftKings chair telling you which parlay, Hey, let's go over to the, to Yanni, the Greek. You know what I mean? Like we're at a point where it's so early that we haven't yet seen what a big F up can do. Not all the, 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 standards and walls are built yet to protect some of this this is this is happening right before our eyes right here but you know i saw some of our cbs colleagues uh debating this yesterday luke how much do you think um 
the negative impact of that ESPN story that came out in the past couple of weeks, there was like an insider's piece on how much betting is actually done in MMA. And, you know, there was a anonymous quote from a coach say, talking about being in the locker room before a fight and seeing other camps right in front of you, you know, how they all pack them in and seeing mm-hmm. one guy, you know, look hurt or look, you know, discouraged and the coach in the moment betting against him. Like that had to be an eye opener to, to, to gaming controls mixed with the Krause news. Yeah. I mean, the other part too is like with James Krause and again, we, I, I just don't even want to speculate about what he has or hasn't done. There's just no way to really know. I mean, some stuff is known, obviously he had the discord channel and the podcast and stuff, but I mean, beyond that, I'm, I, I don't know. But what I would say is like, if you wanted to imagine more, uh, that, that he, okay. In a theoretical world where evidence is discovered that it wasn't just, you know, using privileged information to make bets, which by the way, it's, is its own kind of issue. Like dude, New Jersey has distanced itself and required gaming authorities to distance the, the, any betters from James Krause. Now you have this Ontario issue. Like, I'll just put it this way. If you are not careful enough, forget about just mendacity, but just like being careful. If you are not careful enough, you could find yourself in this sport excommunicated. Like, oh, yeah, it is possible. It is on the table, is it not? Just ask Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose and Art Schleister and Paul Hornig. I mean, you know, you get you can get hit hard, Luke, for for messing with the integrity of this at the end of the day. So that's why I referenced that that anonymous ESPN story, because we're still at a point where, you know, it's like this in boxing too, where the quote unquote locker room sometimes is just one room with everybody and their coaches sitting on folding chairs, Luke. So you do get inside access and then you add in that we can just pick up our phone and, you know, bet and change bets right there. Obviously no wonder UFC got ahead of this and put in, you know, some rules and, and banning fighters. And I think that they ban coaches and teams as well, Luke, from be- betting on fights they're associated with. I mean, it's right, only... but like, how do you like, for, but okay, but here's the problem. It's like, dude, how do you Enforce? prevent, you know, someone's wife, someone's brother, oh, right, right. you know, some other doctor or I got, well, the doctors were forbidden too, but like, this is what I'm trying to point out about the injuries. Like we need to get back to this. Fighters have been uh, refusing to disclose injuries, sometimes, you know, very minor ones that may be like a technicality that prevents them from getting a fight. But like sometimes they do it to like get medical care, not so much through UFC, but other promotions where they don't get the medical care until they say, oh, it happened in the fight. And then they can get the surgery that they need. Like it's it is part of the practice. And if you actually disclosed all of your injuries, how many fights would you get a year? Right. You may not even be able to compete because you have to do it. And yet making sure that that stuff is known and above board is kind of essential to making the gambling aspect of it work. This is what I'm, I'm not trying to overstate it. This is a really difficult problem for the UFC to solve. It's, it's an unenviable task, but I think they're going to have to do something because the current state of things is headed in very much right. the wrong direction. And the problem goes a lot deeper than the perceivement of, of, you know, impropriety when it comes to the integrity of the fights and the bets, which is ultimately the biggest thing to be scared about. It, it potentially hits their pocket when you look at how, like, just for example, with DraftKings being their sponsor, how much money is coming in with a deal like that. Well, if Ontario as a province gets banned for however long this is, you know, I, I saw Front Row Brian tweeting that 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 would be, you know, in size wise, the equivalent to the fifth largest U.S. city. Well, what if another big state with a large city. U.S. city? Oh, or, you mean Toronto? 
Meaning, meaning the province of Ontario, if it was in the if it was in the U.S., would be the fifth biggest state in terms of people. State, so the you whole said point, city. Sorry, I was confused. Sorry, the whole point to illustrate is that is okay. This is just one, but what if this becomes Ontario and you know the state of Illinois and the state of California and then the state of Texas? Then, if you are somebody like a Kraus who has even a connection to this. Dude, you might get the, the 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 hammer dropped on you, right? That I mean, they might build the walls right in front of you, and you know, so because the UFC can't can't justify the threat against some of these financial deals as well, which goes you know above and beyond the the way it looks. So yeah, whoever has a part in this, as they start to for the first time make these rules and make these punishments, someone's gonna get hammered out, Luke. That's why I fear for James Krause in this spot until, you know, unless he's able to to prove otherwise. Because somebody's yeah, I mean, going to get hammered out because you're messing with their money now. You are. You know what I'm saying? Like, like You're not messing. You do. You're messing with more than the money. And again, I, I don't know what James Krause has or hasn't done. But you're, it's not just the, the money you're fucking with here with those deals. Well, you're fucking with the you're, integrity. But right. you're sometimes the, the UFC very doesn't idea care that about what you're that. watching is real. Sometimes that's, the that's UFC doesn't that, care about that. Sometimes, it, but it, now you're also effing with their money. What if they lose this DraftKings sponsorship? You know what I mean? Like, dude, you're, I, I think losing the DraftKings sponsorship is secondary to a bigger issue, which is if regulators can't reasonably say that they can trust your product to be genuine, you have a massive problem on your hand. Forget about losing the DraftKings deal. You could lose a lot of other things along the way. So this is really all about like what we do. And again, I'm not accusing the UFC of doing anything wrong other than being like at the mercy of this very difficult problem. What I'm saying that they have to figure out is uh, how do we create a process for pre-screening fighters that makes that gives regulators trust that this process has been done the right way? It's not so easy. It has to be a big departure from what they've done up to this point because of the introduction of gambling. Um, it's a tough task. They got smart guys over there in, in Las Vegas, and they're going to need to like put their heads together because this is a difficult one. Yeah, the final quote there from the AGCO said, this is not a decision we take lightly, knowing the popularity of UFC events in Ontario. However, the risks of insider betting on event and wagering integrity should be highly concerning to all. It right. certainly is to us. Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty large statement on a pretty large area of a pretty large fan base that if this spreads, you got issues. That's why someone's going to get hammered out. That's how these things tend to work. Last thing on this, I've seen people be like, oh, well, Ontario's overreacting. Okay, Let's say that they're overreacting, right? Let's say that their actions don't merit what they actually know about it and they are just doing this for some other reason. But the problem is New Jersey already did something related to Kraus specifically about this. Yeah. Now it's in Ontario. There's a contagion that could spread about this. And in the end, even if you think Ontario has overreacted, perception is reality to a degree. Just the perception that these issues are at play here, even if you or I or someone else thinks that Ontario overreacted, dude, it's terrible headlines for the UFC. Yeah. It's terrible looks for them. They don't want this kind of relationship with regulators. They want a smooth, breezy one. And to their credit, they have worked 20 plus years to get that and to maintain that. They don't all just want to blow it up in the blink of an eye. It's, it's a problem for them. Right. And I wasn't saying before, don't discount the integrity part. That's the number one part. But when you mess with their money also, it's going to make them move swifter and faster. And messing with their money goes beyond a DraftKings sponsorship. If people aren't taking in your bets, it's lessening the end. I mean, look, betting is such a monster part of the sports live sports ratings. I mean, that that's what it is, you know? So, damn, that could be huge. Uh, Luke, topic four is... I mean, is this sad? I, it feels pretty sad. So here's the deal. BKFC just recently made a bit of headlines by signing former boxing uh, junior middleweight champion in Austin Trout. 
But he's from New Mexico. So is another famous combat sports athlete, Diego Sanchez. And Luke, according to reports here, uh, Sanchez and Trout are going to clash at a bare knuckle fighting championships card in February in Albuquerque. Yeah, you can count me out, okay? Yeah, it's pretty fucking gross. Remember, BKFC tried to get Melvin Gillard licensed in Colorado recently, and Colorado was like, yeah, no, we're not. No, like, what are we doing here? Have we not seen enough? Like, Diego Sanchez, unfortunately, is in BJ at the Lava Shack territory. Like, can we save him from himself? Seriously. And also, like, you know, you could say, okay, well, what was the last time Austin Trout was fighting relevant opposition? 2018, 2019, Terrell Gaucher... Something like that, But he's right? not a puncher. He's not a puncher, Luke. You know? Who? Uh, Trout. He's a slick boxer. So yeah, he's it's a slick like... boxer. But it's BKFC, and even if like the last time Trout was fighting relevant opposition was 2019, and he is 36, 37, something like that, uh, he's way fresher than Diego. And, you know, Diego like made a lot of his best work in the UFC, sometimes off striking, but typically off grappling and wrestling and, you know, mount and things like that. Like... This is all bad news. Like, I would be, I hope that the, it's not even like cheering against, like, promoters. I don't, I, I you know, I, I'm not trying to, like, oh, down with BKFC. Book, book a different fight and it's fine. But, dude, you can't, uh, this is just all bad. The, the regulators need to step in here and be like, we can't allow this. I really hate everything about this fight. Look, if the regulators did step in and then Uncle Dana was like, all right, I mean, you could headline our first slapdick show. Is that where you exit this game? Is that where you say, look, like when speech writing made my hair fall out, I got to get, or my nails fall, I got to get out of this racket, okay? Yeah, I mean, you know, they start putting in, uh, you know how one will have like grappling fight and then like a Muay Thai fight? They start putting in slap fights in between and then I think you have to call it a day on this career, but until uh, then Luke I can keep it separate. I didn't react good to this news of Trout Sanchez, but remember former welterweight boxing champion Kermit Citrone? I mean, he's now, like, well past it and lingering. Dude, he's been washed for, like, 10 years. He tweeted, uh, if the president of BKFC wanted a good fight and a knockout, he would have signed me to fight Austin Trout. No disrespect to Austin, great champ in and out of the ring. But Kermit followed that up with a tweet at PFL's Don Davis saying, put me in, coach. So it seems like he wants that final bag, Luke. Yeah, I'm... Uh... You're out on you that know, I too. respect Kermit and what he did in the in the sport. He did. His, for, we talked about it in like back in like 2008. Like, oh, who would be a cool boxer that could make it? And you're like, oh, well, Cintron wrestled a little bit, you know. But no, no, like no, 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 no. no. Please stop. Please stop. All right, Luke. Topic five is our top five, but this is going to be solo from you, and this one's going to be a throwback. I think. Uh, Ten things I hate about you. Remember that '90s movie, Luke? I might be able to give you. I've 15. never. I've actually never seen that. Oh, it's rom-com chick shit. My wife loves it. Um, yeah. I'd be able to give more than 10 things, Luke, that annoy me about you, but um, no one's <laughs> asking me that, nor are they asking me what would be my top five things I love about MMA. And, you know, can we go more than five? 115-pound women, Luke. That's the answer. We asked you, though, to be the Luke Thomas's pissed of old and give us this. You rant and rave about the things that you hate about this game, Luke. How about you put him into a ranking? Luke Thomas is here with our weekly top five, presenting the top five things that annoy him about this great sport of mixed martial arts. Luke, the yes. floor is yours. Well, I won't, I won't belabor the point because I want to get out of here in a reasonable time frame. But listen, I could make a list of 100 things I love. This is not, um, this is not a question of uh, 
Is this the only way that I feel? Of course not. I have complicated feelings. But there's a lot of shit in this game that fucking sucks. Can we just be honest about that? You know, half the time it's this podcast, to be quite honest with you. But uh, I just, there's so much shit that just drives me crazy. I actually had a hard time making this list, to be honest with you. Just narrowing it down to five, to be to be candid. But let's let's start with this one. Uh, num- <laughs> Good luck the, to the band STEM moving forward. Yes, all right, here we go. So there they made the list, and then I had to cut it off because I was like, well, they're just not. I mean, it's not like a relevant thing anymore. But uh, all right, let's start here. How about number five? Just the easy embrace of awful. I mean, no one has any discerning ability in this sport <laughs> half the time. It drives me fucking crazy. Like, oh, hey, you want to go get a bag from some dictators and then be a part of propaganda video go do it hey uh, how many people have you seen been like yeah power slap might be good please shut the fuck up please <laughs> please just shut the fuck up you know you're just saying bullshit you know michael like, chandler put that on ig luke it must you be know, real yeah michael chandler i love michael chandler he's a great dude he's been a great fighter it's been an honor to cover his career but michael you know you're just saying some shit come on now <laughs> these people out there just everyone not everyone lots of people lots of times will just go along with obvious bullshit and embrace stupid things, bad actors, bad characters, bad ideas, and just act like it's part of the normal flow of things without having any like, and then I, then there's me raising my hand being like, yo, this power slap shit is terrible. Like <laughs> doctors think it's a remarkably shitty idea. Why are you being a hater? Why are you being a hater? All this fucking shit, like these mouth breathers firing back at me for being like, yeah, I think this is a really awful idea. We should probably think twice about it. Nope, nope, nope. Easy embrace of awful. You're saying Pat Militich should not have shit on Pelosi's wall, Luke? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I don't know if he actually made it inside. But nevertheless, just everyone being far too willing to embrace bad ideas, bad product, bad actors bat you just name it being like well that's just what we do here fuck off we don't do so that you're here. saying number five is that fuck it friday has become a lifestyle that's what you're saying everyone's just yeah. like yeah fuck it whatever yeah. 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 yeah that's right that's just that's just part of the sport that's, that's number five number four how about this one now this is not universally true in fact i'll give some consideration to the ones it's not true so shouts to new jersey it's not true there shouts to california in particular definitely not true there i love the and they, that, which is to say that they don't make mistakes as commissions, they do. They're, they're run by humans. They're going to make mistakes. But in general, I think that they have good people staffing it, and they try to get it right. But, dude, just the amount of fuckboys filling up commission rosters across the country drives me up the fucking wall. And how final their say is, and how terrible their decision-making is, and how they, this is the biggest one for me, how they shield everything from public transparency, you don't allow judges to talk to the media. You don't allow judges to do anything in terms of justifying their decisions. You circle the wagons. You keep fuckos who suck at the job on the job as it goes on. In particular, looking at you, Texas, is a big one here. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again. And there's not much we can do because this is the system we've created But the way in which the commissions circle the wagons, how they reward loyalty and fealty more than competence, how they refuse to do anything in terms of public service transparency, it drives me up the ball. And one of the worst offenders of this, of course, is Nevada, who presents itself and parades itself 
as like the standard bearer of excellence in commissions when in fact they just legalized or agreed to sanction anyway uh power slap which is just you know i mean just that's really the worst look for dana white ever because if you're in the nfl or you're in a combat sport and you're a professional head like you want to keep cte and you know fighters or ex-NFL players committing suicide, like all the bad stuff that comes with head injury that's largely unavoidable because it's a contact sport. You want to diminish that type of talk. And they're like, no, here, it's the coolest new sport. No defense. Let's, you know, I mean, it's like, wow. Wow. Dude, they, they, the, the, if they, here's the rule. If they're going to get power slap sanctioned by the commission, they should be forced to call it the um, the CTE slap league. Like just, yeah. be, you know what I mean? Like, you know, how, you know, when you buy cigarettes, it's like, you know, nicotine is like, can cause baby deformities and shit like that. The label is right there. That should be what's on that. But of yeah, course, you're not going to get anything like that. What, just call it soil and green, Luke. I mean, yeah. it's just they're just eating each other at the end of the day. Uh, so number five was ignorance. Number four was corruption. No, what's four, number three, five was the, the 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 breathless embrace of awful. Four is just how the commissions have such power, and yet there are so not not uniformly, but most of the time, quite awful in most states. That's number four. Number three, I kind of I didn't know exactly how to rank this one a little bit. So, all right, I'll say it this way: Listen, there is a ton of good work that the MMA media does. We are part of it, and <laughs> this podcast just—I mean, listen, half the time we're just jacking off. I mean, this is really—I <laughs> mean, we're scumbags. Co- Luke, Dana was right. I mean, we, we are. We are the, this is—we should change the name of this show from Morning Combat to the Scumbag MMA Media. <laughs> I don't present myself to you as Seymour Hirsch doing investigative reporting. That's not who I am. But what I don't like at all is when MMA media get their backs up and say, oh, no, 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 we do really quality work on the investigative side all the time. There are a couple of actors who do. Mark Ramundi, who does. Sometimes Brett Okamoto. I would say uh, Stephen Morocco over at MMA Fighting is one of the better ones at this. It does happen. Guys, I have been in positions of editorial power for about 15 years. Stop fucking lying to the public and stop lying to yourselves. If you are proud about your individual record on reporting, then you can do that. Here's just the reality. Dude, you never, almost never see stories on MMA managers. You want to know why? Because they're the gatekeepers to getting interviews. You get sideways with them, you lose them. There are a lot of people who get aggressive, nasty calls all the time from promoters. Not just UFC, by the way. There's some other ones out there as well that do the exact same thing, even though they have the same power, and it cows media into silence. And by the way, their employers don't really necessarily empower them to do much uh, either. But the bigger point is, not that MMA media was ever having a you know halcyon days of you know uh, Woodward and Bernstein, but the reality is most of the jobs where people did anything about advancing a story and then writing something critically about people in positions of power, most of those jobs have been gutted and they're gone. You talking about it, and this, in, this involves me and BC too, talking about your podcast has some value. That's not really the same as like actual reporting and pushback on real positions of power. The idea that MMA media is like adversarial and appropriately forceful in questioning and going after power, stop fucking telling the public that. It's not true. It's absolutely matter-of-factly with exceptions here or there. It just drives me crazy when they go into denial about the the powers that they have and what their what their actual record is. Not fucking true at all. There you, you go. Would, That's number 
you would applaud team. ESPN's coverage of this uh, UFC gambling situation, right? Mark Ramundi is a shot. It's not to say that it doesn't happen, BC. It's not to say no, that no, you I'm can't not, find I'm, people I'm just who do giving it. them a high five. Like they're in a interesting spot as the as the major rights holder. A very interesting. spot. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's causing some friction between the two entities there. So God bless Mark Ramundi for doing it. I really applaud him. He's one of the the, the shining stars. And again. Who are we? You and I. We're two morons who have a moron podcast. I'm not contributing to the, the solution either, but I can admit that. I'm telling you, I'm admitting that. I understand that. Everyone else should be as honest about it as we are. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get. We're entertainers, to. Luke. This is all kayfabe. It's not all kayfabe. I mean, we do give our real opinions, but yeah, I mean, this is much more entertainment than it is anything else. Like, so you're saying the, <laughs> the credibility uh, to reality shown in the morning combat documentaries is very similar to how the MMA media covers the sport. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Something like that. Listen, I don't think that the guys go out there and intentionally try to do a bad job or deceive the public. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're dishonest in that way. What I am saying is you cannot sit here and tell me they are designed by their bosses or the pressures from the industry to do sufficiently investigative adversarial reporting. It's just not true. It's just not true. You got to stop saying that it's true. It's not true. It hasn't really ever been true. And it's especially not true now. Please, now and by the way, like if it wasn't for John Nash, who's part-time and doesn't need credentials, and by the way, is with Bloody Elbow, who's banned from most promotions anyway, if it wasn't for him, what would we know about fighter pay? What is everyone else doing? What are we doing? We, we amplify his work, but what are we doing in service of that? Fuck all. Fuck all. So, like, spare me this shit about how we deserve to be, like, treated as, like, well, we are a oh, really Luke, serious you're one Nelk boy's bag away from shutting the fuck up, and you know it, okay? I'm just saying we ampl I'm I'm admitting to, like, the fact that if it wasn't for John Nash or also Paul Gift, what would we know about fighter pay? Yeah. And, like, and guys like Josh Gross have, have been through the wars or on the other side of the fence and are yes, still, there are, you know. exactly, exactly. There are guys who have done that shit. Like, Josh Gross, for example, on managerial work, one of the last things he did for The Athletic was a big piece on um, on Ali, right? He did a huge expose on Ali. That kind of shit has all been gutted. And by the way, like, who can you really blame for this? The Athletic kind of ruined MMA journalism. They hired all the best writers away from all the various places and then laid them all off, right? Just in one fell swoop, taking all of that service and then just cutting it off from the industry. They fucked it up big time. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is, Everyone needs to take a look in the mirror about what they actually do. We do. We, we just do dumb shit on this show. But we get say that. Say that out loud, what actually is happening here. Okay. Thank you. Uh, what was that, three? That was three. Yeah, this is yeah. great. This is an interesting character study, Luke. I, I'm hoping Hasbulla shows up on here. Keep it going. He just, no, I don't hate Hasbulla. I told you, I don't hate Hasbulla, dude. Like I love him, but you sometimes yeah. are sour toward that, ma that little I'm man. I'm sour right? towards everyone pretending that like they love him for totally innocent reasons. Uh, number, I debated about where to put this one, BC. I debated, but I'm going to put it number two, the wooing, wooing at events. Seriously, I don't really believe in martial law and corporal punishment, but everyone who does this should have their balls hit with a car antenna repeatedly <laughs> at these events. You, I wish Darwin was around today to find like evidence about evolution being true Nothing tells us we come from primates more than low-level primates showing up to events and doing their mating calls of wooing to other low-level primates to get together than well, what happens at MMA events. It is the scourge of, oh, Luke, 
We're just having fun. Hey, you know you can have fun without being a fucking jackass about it, right? And like yelling in other people's faces for no apparent reason other than to just do it and be like, dude, you know, you know who it is? There are people who like, I like to jaywalk just to get to a place quicker. But then there are people who like to jaywalk. It's like, yo, fuck cars, right? Like, like, yo, fuck this guy. You're going to slow down for me, even when they're jaywalking because they don't get enough attention in their life. People who woo at MMA events, mommy and daddy didn't give them enough hugs. They didn't get enough pats on the back when they were growing up. And this is their way of proclaiming to the world that they need attention. And so they do it in the most boorish manner possible, wooing at MMA events, all of you people deserve to be tased on your way out the door. I mean, it's it's the audible, you know, it's the audible equivalent to the wave, which is stupid and lame as well, which is another way for the crowd to announce that they're here. But I think it's the pro wrestling connection that kills you, Luke. Would you be put your they money where your mouth is? They didn't is? used to do it, dude. You can go back and watch events from like no, twenty twelve even. A- they didn't do it. Right, but I think that's part of your anger. But my point is this. Let's put your money where your mouth is. If you hate wooing this much and you put it number the number two thing you hate the most about this filthy sport, would you trade it for Eddie Hearn's uh, England Sweet Caroline force job on us? Would you trade it for that? Would you get, you can have no more wooing, but we have to play Sweet Caroline before the main event each time. Jesus, this is Sophie's choice if ever there was one. <laughs> um... I would take the wooing over Sweet Caroline. But the thing is, I didn't put Sweet Caroline on the list because I more commonly associate that with boxing. Yeah, it is. Right? It is, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know Darren Till and some other guys love it or whatever, but it's it's still more... I mean, it's become English culture to to celebrate. Even though though it's an American song about a guy just admiring a young woman, which is... Or a young girl, really. It's kind of weird, but okay. Neither here nor there. Fucking wooing. Please stop. Just put a ball gag in their mouth. I mean... Okay. You know what? Or just as a general rule. Oh, you want to woo at events? Sweet. Here, here's the deal. You got to get a vasectomy first, and then we can call it a day. <laughs> fine. Fine. Deal. Deal made. Go get a vasectomy, oh and you can woo God. until your heart's content. All right? Dude, I just... would rather be the play-by-play announcer for Dana White's Slapdick League than endure the first needle and a half again in that three-needle sandwich. Look, I mean, that that is, it's demeaning. It's the most, I didn't think you could have pain that that aggressive. I never. I didn't think it was Paul. I didn't think you could. Well, I mean, I'm partly that. doing a bit here for the show, right? I mean, this is entertainment. I mean, I don't know how much I actually care, but you know, for the fun of the show, I'm going to do a bit. But uh, yes, if you would be willing to, you know, no longer reproduce, please woo until your heart's content. That's a fair deal. I think I that's a fair trade, BC. No idea what number one's going to be, and this <laughs> if it's Joanna, we're fighting. But what do you got? No, do you got? it's not. I, I never got personal in that way. But number one for me, and this is why I debated because I didn't know. But like, if I really think longitudinally the thing that just drives me the most insane is the rampant gullibility to promoter speak oh my god this drives me up the wall by the way this goes back to mma media where promoters just say shit and then they just repeat it without any like verification if it's true or not but for example we just had the we just talked about the one card great card looking forward to watching it can't wait to talk about it on monday it's going to be awesome right talking about their weight-cutting system. Oh, you know, they saw weight-cutting. And then people like me, when it, they say shit like this, be like, well, we don't have any evidence for it. And then I have to encounter avalanches, BC, 
avalanches of people saying you're a hater you just don't like them but like any number of bad faith critiques like nothing actually about the merit of it even though there's no evidence for it and then this is the worst part about it bc then it actually gets proven that there's total bullshit or you know doesn't do what they say it does anyway at a bare minimum and then there is never the corresponding response of gee luke like maybe there was something to this skepticism that you employed early on doesn't exist and then the gullibility goes the opposite way where they'll say things like Anderson Silva took a dive and they'll be like resolute about it despite direct evidence contradicting that in all number of ways, video evidence and otherwise. So it's like gullibility in all the wrong misdirected ways about the industry, about promoter speak. They latch onto what a promoter says. They assume it is true. It could take years to prove otherwise. And then there's no effort at being like, wow, like maybe we should be a little bit more thoughtful about reacting to what promoters say than just accepting it blindly. But they don't. It just this is what everyone does. And then we have to just deal with the results as a consequence. This is an enduring, enduring, enduring problem that makes me want to go fucking ballistic. Look, you might be in the wrong business. You ever think about that? BC, I've thought a lot about that. Oh. <laughs> there it is. Your top five of the week. Luke Thomas was able to get that off his chest. Thank you very much. Uh, no face to pain, no stem. Uh, I would like if grappling showed up on there, Luke. I, I wouldn't mind <laughs> that, you know, or uh, men's fights or, you know, or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey, Luke, uh, we're not always right. You may not have been right in that top five, but let's close Friday by giving the fans a chance to put their fingers in our sores and swivel it around a little bit. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your email inbox to find out if you got receipts to put us on the trial to squat that fence and take that L and find out if we was actually dead wrong, bitch. Mm-hmm. Fuck mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> you better come uh, correct here, okay? Come original. This is Jordan from Hawaii. He says, uh, during episode 380 at 5130, BC mentions Hills, I think this is uh, uh, Angela Hills, stoppage win against, quote, maybe against Whitmire. However, you are likely trying to find the name of either Ariane Carnalosi, unlikely g- given her muscularity. Wow, this guy's just making editorials, Luke, about who I like here. Or Hannah Cyphers, which is probably more similar to Whitmire's appearance or build. Instead, BC, uh, you probably got other reasons for thinking it was Spitfire. Not just a straw weight reason, but also she's MK's biggest fan, or maybe you're her biggest fan, right, BC? Uh, anyway, this guy's rambling, Luke, but apparently uh, Angela Hill never beat Emily Whitmire, so sue me, okay? All right. I uh, I think I even co-signed on it, so I'm a fraudulent piece of shit, too. So Come here, know. Spitfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really that aggressive, but, you know. <laughs> no, it, no, no, no. It wasn't aggressive, <laughs> but it was Yeah, the yeah. closest I've ever seen you to, like, a, like, an inner Billy D. Williams come out of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, that guy hasn't been around in a long time. Let's go over to Alex from Southampton. He says, hi, guys, in episode 379 at 142, BC says that Daniel Kinahan helped negotiate the Fury versus White fight, but it was the Fury versus AJ fight that fell apart that he helped negotiate. What? So he, so he's claiming that I made the reference that, because remember that video where, where Tyson Fury 
during a time when it, when they were trying to hush-hush Daniel Kinahan's involvement, came out and thanked Kinahan for negotiating the fight. Apparently, the dead wrong is that I said it was the Dillian White fight. It was really the Fury versus AJ fight, which was negotiated but never happened. Remember like a year ago that almost happened? Am I making sense here? Yeah, all right, uh, there you go. I don't quite understand what they're accusing you of. Of referencing that time Fury put the video out on Twitter thanking Kinahan. I said it was right. ahead of the Dillian White fight. It was ahead of the oh, AJ oh. fight that never happened is apparently what happened got here. It, got it, got it, got so, it, got it, P.S., got it. quick question from for BC. Who wins, Liam Smith versus, or versus Chris Eubank Jr.? Thanks, guys. Alex from Southampton. That's a good fight, actually, by the way. Uh, Beefy Smith, a former title holder at 154, got to move up here. Chris Eubank Jr. can bang. He's trying to reinvent himself with Roy Jones. I still like Eubank because of the power. I, I still think that that he's got he's got something in him. Let's see what happens here. Liam Smith, a tough out, but he is smaller. Uh, Luke, let's go over to Sting. He says, hey, Luke and Brian, on episode 379 at 128 and 10 seconds, when discussing the 2022 FIFA World Cup and Brazil being choke artists lately, BC compares Brazil to LeBron James in the NBA Finals, stating that despite choking, LeBron still has three rings. LeBron actually has four rings, two with the Ooh, Heat that's right. and one with the Cavs and Lakers. Love the show and appreciate all you do. Yeah, yeah, Luke, I got a lot of hate for this. I will take this L. I won't take all the hate of, like, BC, you're over your head on the NBA. You don't know what you're talking about here. I was overly harsh under the summation that LeBron chokes in the finals. I don't think ultimately that he does. I don't think that's real. But he has lost more than he's won. But I don't think I did wrong on my point that whether I was wrong on how many rings he had – we don't and probably shouldn't call him a choker or not, even though more often than not at the, at the highest level, he didn't get it done. But when you get it done a certain amount of times and you're in the finals eight straight years and you're MVP-like until you're 40, it doesn't matter. That was the ultimate point, Luke, right? That makes sense, I think. It I does know. in its own way. All right. I uh, forgot about that fourth ring with the Lakers recently. Um, Luke, will LeBron it was, end it was, up... Yeah, because it was in the bubble and, you know. Will he end up teaming up with his son in a... Griffey senior and junior type way, or you couldn't care about that storyline? I've been hearing about his son. I'm like, I don't even know how old the fucking kid is at this point. Is he graduating this year? Like, uh, what are they doing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do you see Kanye wearing that black mask? I mean, what's going on here, Luke? Boy, it's... That's a dead went, wrong. He went from, like, anti-Semitism to just straight-up Nazism. Like, I mean, that's just a dead wrong on all, all things there. Uh, let's go over to Zeus. He says, what's up, guys? At 125 of the Thanksgiving mailbag, when Luke asked Brian... If it was true that Van Morrison had gotten into trouble for once playing an entire show with his back to the audience, Brian responded that, yes, he was a longtime cantankerous dick. Uh, totally untrue. Van came down with debilitating stage fright in the early 70s, and for his guest performance on the band's 1976 Last Waltz concert, his first live appearance in several years, his reluctance to get on stage had his manager literally kick him out there. It was Miles Davis that Luke was thinking of. Miles was widely criticized for sometimes instructing his quartets or quintets to play with their backs to the audience so they could just dig the vibe, man. Love you guys, Zeus. All right, Luke, there's... We're a little pedantic. I don't know if he's fully right on here. You made the, hey, wasn't that Van? I wasn't saying yes, that he definitely did that. I was basically saying, yes, I could believe it because Van is known as a longtime cantankerous dick. Even though this guy's trying to make the case that it's Van's uh, stage fright that ultimately may might have led to Luke saying that, He's also a no, notorious cantankerous dick, Van Morrison, so let's not act like he isn't. I love yeah, the guy. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've read that in multiple places. Yeah. 
And, and, and also, you know, it wasn't just Miles Davis who have played with the back to the audience before. There were times that Eddie Van Halen got criticized for doing that during key parts of the solo because he didn't want people to see what he was doing. We've seen that before, but I'll take it, Zeus. Thank you for your interest in the show. Yeah, I was wrong, I guess. I'll take the uh, Luke, too. Uh, this is from Jared. He says, not the sandwich guy, though. Hey, Dong said, 53 minutes on November 23rd. Luke claimed OAM's last loss was to Sarukian in the UFC all the way back in 2010. You know, I felt that that was wonky when you said that. Uh, too much, Too much watermelon yeah. vape because you're dead wrong, you old bitch. That loss was 2019. OAM made his debut in 2011. Yeah, I just misspoke. I didn't think he hadn't lost in 12 years. Let's be clear. Maybe Luke was high on Pepto-Bismol, or perhaps the multiple <laughs> visits to the New Jersey Public Transport Network have left him with some lingering variation of long COVID or the plague. Love you. It's Jared. Okay, th Jared, thanks. Final one comes from... Jay Paquette. Luke, you remember that guy, right? JP, well, my he, man. Uh, now, he went for Donk of the Year. Is he trying to undercut that? I guess we're about to find Let's out. Let's see. It's uh, Mount Unike's Superfan for Life. He says, during the RSD with Anthony Smith at 111 and 14 seconds, BC asked, what province is Mockton in? Luke, with his rock hard on for Brock Lesnar in the Great White North, said, Saskatchewan. I don't fucking know. BC's heads east and says Prince Edward Island question mark since Luke is quote all about the numbers over 2,500 miles separates Saskatchewan from Moncton BC was certainly closer at just over 90 miles you two geographical literate washed up pieces of shit are dead wrong as fuck or maybe illiterate uh, even my Canadian brother and Aaron Bronstetter is like WTF love you guys keep up the award winning show so this is him using dead wrong as a fan submission look it's kind of creative but is he also a pedantic POS what are your thoughts no I mean I, I mean I guess I wasn't really paying attention but uh, yeah I think it's a fair point to make Okay, the, the map really helps illustrate that along with Aaron Bronstetter's angry face. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, JP, you're back. You're, you're here. You're, you were always here. All right. Luke, I, we had, I had an angry David Appleton in my inbox who's claiming that Mikey's been mutumboing his better uh, submissions lately that have been questionable, Luke. Okay. Here's the thing. We get a lot of submissions from a lot of people that are, how do we say this, uh, inappropriate to air? <laughs> Racist? I mean, they're, they're all over the, the, the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's awful. Um. So thank you, morningcombat at gmail.com is your email address for all that bullshit. Uh, Appy, you're still in the race. We still love you. Do not send us a picture of your, of your hog, though. Please do not. Please do not do that. Uh, no stick picks will lead to anyone winning donk of the year. Uh, Luke, we're over our two-hour suggested limit here, but it is Friday, right? We have fun. That's what we do. Yeah, I'm happy to go, though. Okay, sorry. We're out as welcome again. Uh, thank you to our great team. Thank you to uh, our fine uh, whatever. I don't care, Luke. Just end the show. I mean, we got any, anything else to say? Just uh, you mentioned that. You can follow us on social. There are good fights tonight, good fights tomorrow. We're back on Monday, I think. Yes. Uh, by the way, oh, they just got announced. It's in my inbox. Uh, let me double check this. I believe this is right. Yep. There's going to be in D.C. on Monday, a Gervonta Davis and Hector Luis Garcia press conference. It's going to be at the Hotel Washington. Uh, let's see. And, uh, I look forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. You love DC, Luke. Well, I just, you know, don't, if, if dude, if, if Gervonta Davis was coming to Naugatuck <laughs> to do a presser, you'd be like, oh, that's, 
That's fun and convenient. That's a it changes the pace a little bit. You'd be pre, you'd be pretty happy about it, would you not? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't think he would like it though, book. But uh, you know, it's it's pretty grimy. Who would? Who? Well, he's from West Baltimore, so maybe maybe with Luke. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's what's going on. Um, I don't care. I got buy our merch morningcombat.store. Thank you for supporting us as always, fans. Um, you know. I don't know what else you got. Anything? I don't know what, we, good, what are we doing here? I mean, I'm what good. are we? I'm good. Yeah. Oh, do you 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 think um, uh, Alex Pareto will take Shab up on that one hundred thousand dollar bet? Is this a trap by uh, by Shab to get him to violate the uh, the no betting policy? I mean, what are we doing here? How would Shab be prevented from betting? He bet Alex Pareto a hundred thousand dollars, right? That uh, that uh, Hamzat won't take him down. Oh, another. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, well, yeah. Uh, well, he would still bet, but uh, it would be. But they're not. But they're not doing a bet. Like, that's a gentleman's agreement, right? Oh. Like it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, they're not putting a wager onto like a sports book or something like that. Um, I don't think that he will. I know that they they said it, but I just don't think it'll actually come to fruition. Uh, also, not a bet I would recommend per se. But um, look, he could have been Hoppa if things went differently. Really. You mean like married Ronda Rousey? Yeah, I mean it was in it was it was in play, right? I mean, you know, that's you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of Eskimos could have ended up going that way, Luke, but it was Hoppa <laughs> who gets it in the end. So well done there, Travis Brown. All right, Luke, that's it. That's all I got. Thanks to Gaff, Long Island Luke, Mikey Morms, all the great people that love us. Um, that's my co-host Luke Thomas. My name is Brian Campbell. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're gonna be on location next week too, so you're gonna have some fun with that. Uh, f- for our great staff and team. Take care of yourselves, folks. Make sure those loyals actually are gains at the end. Or maybe they're just hoes. We out. All right? Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.